Are go you ahead. Gonna, no, no, go ahead. Please, please. please. The, 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 the stage is y'all yours. I'm not Tongan. My God. Also, the Philippines. I, I mean, I was together. Well, let me sing my song. Okay. Why don't you sing your song? Bali High may call that. you any night, any day. Um, I, for the longest time, thought that the Philippines was in the Southern Hemisphere. Oh, yes. Oh. Because I at one point, I think it was like two years ago where I was like, well, because, oh, no, it was last year. It was last year because I, I was like, well, it's 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 Christmas. Under the equator. I, I was like, you're it's like summer. It's, it's not winter in this in the Philippines because you guys are in the southern hemisphere. And RJ goes, no, we're not. <laughs> and I was like, what? He's like, no, we're not. And so then I had to look at a full global map and be like, oh, it's much higher than I thought it was. Yeah. I, I was watching a clip of an Irish comedian who somebody called her British and she was like, no, I'm not. From the Republic of Ireland, very much not. And, and the person was like, I thought that you guys were all part of the same country. And she was like, no. And she goes, when no. did that happen? And the, the person like pulls out her phone to look it up. And she was like, because apparently I, an Irish person, was not a good source of information about whether or not <laughs> Ireland is part of the UK. That's yeah. Imagine Adam like having to go go to the library, yeah. look up an old globe and like spinning Just it to, to see try if and RJ find. remembers correctly which hemisphere his home country is. Yeah. The and, only thing I'll say about I mean, I, the British thing is like, aren't they? Isn't all of it called? You need the... to you need to slow <laughs> down and think about what you're gonna say, sir. Aren't they? Aren't the group? Aren't the archipelago of islands called the British Isles? That's like the encompassing geographical region. But that's not what the term I just want to be British clear. No, understood. I understand. I understand. Yes, that's and not it, how it was being. No, I would never call an Irish person British. Yes, I would call um, them English. Okay. Okay. All right. That's a great start. Yeah. <laughs> Molly, do we have anything in the mailbox? We sure as heck do. Let me read you a few lovely things. Um, Bryce wrote in about Pirates of Penzance and said that... Um, we have had so many feedback on Pirates People of love the Pirates episode. And Bryce <laughs> said that they've been um, kind of going back in the episodes and said that our Pirates of Penzance podcast is the funniest one I've heard so far. <gasps> Your orphan discussion had my stomach hurting <laughs> with how hard I laughed. So thank you, Bryce. That is That's lovely. Uh, Rita, Rita wrote in uh, five days ago. Teacher, teacher. (laughs) we're gonna get sued. Um, I opened my podcast feed to see I have to choose between your discussion of this delightful classic. This is when Gypsy was released, Mm -hmm. and another podcast discussing the latest Trump indictment. As entertaining as you are, I'm afraid you can't compete this time. (laughs) We really can't. We we got bumped. We got bumped by the Trump news. um, Unfortunately, I will also say this was not in an email, but it was uh, via phone call that I had recently with Rita that she was talking about Betty for Dan and she mm-hmm. has also not read Friend the, of the pod, Betty Friend for of Dan. pod Betty for Dan. Yeah. And uh, she, she loves show gays yeah. for sure. Yeah. I, think, she, I think she'd be into it. Huge supporter you? of gay people in general. Oh really? Is that the, I didn't know She's that. She's the one who coined the lavender menace. Okay. Well that wasn't part of this guy. Did, we need to do a, a follow up <laughs> podcast where we just do research on Betty for Dan. <laughs> we're going to write the Betty for Dan musical is what we're yeah. going to do. Oh my God. <laughs> Uh, can you imagine a musical <laughs> just skewering homophobes? That would be truly the peak of the art form. Okay. Um, no, what Rita was telling me is that when she, that the feminist mystique came out when she was a young woman, 
And that for her generation, it felt very sort of like not useful because it was so focused on the experience of housewives. And she was like, Mm. we were interested in Gloria Steinem and like Mm -hmm. getting ourselves into the workforce. And that was where our focus was. And that it just to her, like, not that it wasn't useful for maybe people who are a little bit older than she was, but like that it it, it's interesting to think of it as a book that came out and was really revolutionary, but for like the people who are really like coming into their own political identity, it already felt out of date by the time that it was out Uh. because, you know, Rita famously was in the third class of women that was ever admitted to Duke law. And so, wow. Yeah. yeah. (gasps) So she was really focused on like, I'm out here and I'm going to have a career, honey, and you're all going to have to deal with it. And so that was her, her focus. And she was like, I don't care about the plight of the housewife. That's not, that's not what I'm out here for. So I thought that was really interesting to get that perspective. Other readers who have experience with the feminine mystique, write in, tell us about it. Well, it just goes to show, I mean, there's not going to be one, there's not one piece of like analysis. There's not one thing that like defines the entire political thought or idea. Unless it's our analyses of these movies. Obviously. Yeah. We are the completionist perspective on every political topic, but other than our podcast, everything else has elements that are missing. I think is what we're trying to say. (laughs) Um, Nailed it. (laughs) And then Robert, who did include his pronouns. Thank you, Robert. um, Wrote in to suggest that we do the musical South Pacific. So thank you, Robert, for writing in. I know you you knew it. You you had a sense. Um, yeah. Robert wrote, well, it's not a flawless film. It had its moments. And I do enjoy watching it from time to time. Problematic elements aside. I definitely enjoy this film more than Gigi. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Where? Yeah, I In don't this? know. We're going to have to really do some digging, some excavating as we discuss yeah. to try to figure what out are. what it could be it that Robert be is like referring deep, to. Because deep metaphors that we are not comprehending. You know, yeah. <laughs> Which and we have to cover on them because we are completionist, as I said, yeah, on yes, all political true. topics. So that's that's where we're at. Thank you, Robert, for the suggestion that we had on the calendar six months ago. Yeah. yeah. Thanks everyone for writing in. If you absolutely if, please continue to do so. Please continue to write us. But please get we are coming up on, you know, the season's about to end. The mm. showies are the showies are showies. coming. We the have to do coming some, in the mid in November. We have to do some planning. Maybe yeah. Maybe we do an we maybe we so give we like to, one award, like People's Choice or something like that. Oh, a People's to, Choice Award. Ooh, yeah, no one's ever up, had something like that before. Yeah. <laughs> open up the uh, just write in if there's musicals we need to do mm-hmm. that are easily accessible online. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that I don't have to like find like an old VHS from a hermit down at the shop around the <laughs> corner. Been true for the last couple. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Molly. This week, you have the task summarizing South Pacific. I think this should be pretty simple. It's not too wild, to be honest. You think so? I don't know. As I was writing it out, I don't know. Maybe I included a level of detail I didn't need to, but some stuff felt like it needed to be in there. So we'll see. We'll see if this is a minute. The year is 1943. (laughs) Eisenhower is in the White House. (laughs) Eisenhower is not in the White House, famously, during World War II. No, he was a general, in fact. (laughs) Oops. I'm just a girl. I don't know things. <laughs> I'm just a this girl. is pre Betty. This is pre Betty for Dan. Pre Betty. So I can't. I can't I had, know be about history <laughs> that happened before feminism. That's how it works. Right, right, right. I agree. Uh, um, you, the task of summarizing South Pacific in a minute or less, and your time starts now. 
During World War II, somewhere in the South Pacific, Lieutenant Cable arrives on an island military base with intentions to recruit the expat French plantation owner, Emile de Beck, onto a dangerous mission to spy on incoming ships from behind enemy lines. Military officers convince nurse Nellie Forbush, who has started a relationship with Emile, to suss out his trustworthiness. In the process, Nellie realizes how little she had known about Emile, including the full story of a murder he committed in France, but he tells her everything and they get back together. The officers propose the mission to Emile, who turns them down so that he can live his happy life with Nellie. Discouraged, Cable decides to sneak away to the forbidden Valley High, where he falls for a love Tonkinese woman named Liat, but balks at the idea of marrying her. Nellie learns that Emile is a widower, having previously married a Polynesian woman, and that he has two mixed-race children, which causes Nellie to break off their relationship again. With Emile and Cable both dejected, they decide to go ahead with the mission. They successfully turn around the conflict, but Cable dies. When Nellie learns Emile is in danger, she realizes she loves him enough to disregard her prejudices. Emile returns to safety to find Nellie caring for his children, and we end on their embrace. Five extra seconds. You're great. You're so close. Very good. I... We'll start and I will say that I was in this musical <gasps> oh. once upon a midnight dreary. Um, I think it was after I think I was going into eighth grade mm. is when I was in this. Um, obviously, I was one of the sailors. OK, Slay. there is nothing like it. There is nothing like really just nothing like a dame. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it was fun. It was like the summer. Our our school corporation did like a summer musical every year. And so anybody in this, the it's school like corporation district. in the district could like audition for it. Fun. Um, and obviously it's a very uh, guy heavy show. Mm. If you can, mm. if you can believe it. Um, and so I was, you know, still a soprano, but they made me a sailor. Okay. Um, so, yeah. So that's specific. Um, I also like owned the cast album from the film, the film uh, album. And I have it like memorized as RJ can attest because I was singing every song. Mm. It's a real treat. Of course it is. And then my, I'll tell you my mom's history even because she does mm. talk about this a lot that this is one of the records that my grandma had. And so when they would clean the house, this one is one she played a mm. lot. Mm-hmm. This I'm is gonna wash, music for sure. Yeah, I'm going to wash this rug from all of its stains. I'm going to wash the dishes Molly, what's your history with South Pacific? Um, it's definitely one that I watched as a kid and I knew songs from that just would come up in musical theater, workshoppy things like Nothing Like a Dame, Watch the Man Right Over My Hair and Some Enchanted Evening, I feel like are the big three that come up most often. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I saw a production of it at the Guthrie. I want to say when I was like in college or something like that. Um, so I've, I've seen it on stage and I've seen the movie before, but I wouldn't say I had like a deep relationship. I. I could tell you the general plot and some of the songs, but it wasn't like a core musical in my repertoire. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. RJ? RJ? This was my first time watching this movie. Oh. I knew of South Pacific just like you, just like through osmosis of being in musical theater. I do remember like there was a revival and like I want to say around high school, college and the- With Kelly O'Hara. Mm. Okay, okay. And the the woman who played- Bloody Mary was like the first native Hawaiian to be nominated for a Tony, I believe. So I remember seeing that. So I saw her perform uh, Bali High in like a in like on TV and I was like, oh, and then I remembered in a voice in college. I had young um, his song, uh, his song that he sings to Liat, the, the ballad. Oh, um, is it younger than springtime? Yeah, I think that's yeah. the title. Of the yeah. 
So, yeah, what a song. What a song. I had that song in my book. Um, and then I I want to say this was like, I remember in, in Orlando, in the theater that I did a lot of theater with, uh, we were, the director was like, I really want to do this, but there's like no Asian people in, in Orlando theater. <laughs> and nope, so I, he had done it. That was his first show with CFC Arts. Was it South Pacific or was it? It was South Pacific. Pirates. Oh, it was, it was South, South Pacific. Pacific. Mm-hmm. Oh. And everyone was like, wow, he did such a great job with it. And that's why they like made him, made the, him like, the theater director. Yeah. It was like a small black box theater. So I, I had like, for some reason was like, oh, it would be a fun show for me to do because like there's so few shows that have like Asian characters in it. Uh, but when I watched it, I was like, okay. There's barely any Asian characters in this and it, t- it takes place in the South Pacific. Yeah. Also, are there any, there aren't any men who are Asian in the musical? No, that's true. So I that, mean, like, that's true. They're around in they're the background. Around. Exactly. Yeah. I think like great drag role to play Bloody Mary, but For like. For sure. Yeah, yeah. Take one of the but three I wouldn't want women's roles away from a woman. Cabaret setting could be fun. Well, yeah. speaking of cabaret settings in this musical, RJ. Huh? RJ. RJ. <laughs> oh, oh, yes. We did a cabaret uh, called Ingenues Anonymous in Florida, in Orlando, where it was like all of the different Ingenues and musical theater come to like a, you know, a, a, a help meeting, a self, uh, an, AA. an AA type meeting to talk about their love, whatever. And Nellie is the like leader. And so she sings like, um, I'm going to watch that man. And then in the middle of her song gets a call from Emil saying that he wants to marry her. And then she like sings and goes into I'm in love, I'm in love. And everyone's like, well, mm. what gives? And uh, it was a, a laugh riot. A mm. laugh riot. Yeah. South Pacific, the musical is based on Tales of the South Pacific, a 1947 um, Pulitzer Prize winning collection of sequentially related short stories by James A. Missioner about the Pacific campaign in World War II. Um, James Missioner actually was, uh, he is, he was born, he's birthright Quaker, which is a term I learned today. (laughs) And so if you apparently are birthright Quaker, you are, if there is a draft, you are allowed to, like, you are able to say no because they're pacifists by religion. And that just means that you were born to Quakers. Is that what the birthright part means? I, I would assume so. Yeah. Not just you were like converted yesterday, but um, that you actually like are from a Quaker household. Is that why Lutellen and uh, Philadelphia or like he has a girl in Philadelphia? I don't Is think that, so. OK. Um, so anyway, so he was Quaker and then but he was like 1942. We had. Oh, are you going to tell us? I just was going to confirm birthright Quaker is an individual who has parents who are Quakers. Yeah. Great. Uh, it's 1942. We had we're in World War Two since the bombing of Pearl Harbor in 1941. Um, and so he still ends up joining the army anyway. And they actually, I think because he was like a writer, um, he, they have him like compile in 1944. I think they have him go to the South Pacific so that he can compile like stories of what has happened, like kind of like the history of the campaign for like documentary mm-hmm. for documentary purposes, basically. Um, Slay. And he has a near death experience. Like he almost gets shot down out of the sky or whatever. And so because of it, he, he kind of writes this collection of stories that like are like based in fact, but are fictional to some extent. 
And then this is what becomes Tales of the South Pacific. It has 19 chapters. And the way that the stories are told, the themes in the chapters are the same. So like chapter one and chapter 19 are reflective. Chapter two and chapter 18 are about a battle. Chapter three and chapter 17 are about like preparation for a battle. Like, Mm -hmm. so they kind of like are in tandem in that way. Very like Cloud Atlas. Yes. Mm -hmm. And then chapter 10, because it's right in the middle, it doesn't have a pair, but it's the main story that's the love story that the Lieutenant Cable um, narrative is derived from in the musical. Oh, I was going to say it was, it's when Jamie and Kathy Kathy finally get married and they have the only duet. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, so that's all I really want to say about the book. Uh, I mean, it's impressive that it won a Pulitzer. Great. Yeah. Okay. Was it like well received? I'm assuming because it won a Pulitzer. It was like, mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't have like stats on sales or anything like that, but it was like the, uh, the popular book of the time. So it was like, it was a popular book at the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think this was before we had backlash to things that were critically appreciated. So probably if we yeah. got a Pulitzer, people basically liked people it. People were yeah, like, yeah, yeah. oh, yeah. We didn't have, we didn't have commentary over on X at the time in which okay. people were, well, you know, picking apart popular things. Yeah. I was just thinking like when we talked about King and I, that mm-hmm. book, like, it seems like this is now the second, like, Rogers and Hammerstein that we're talking about, where it's like there was a popular book and they want to try and make a show out of it. Right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yes. Cause the other two, Oklahoma and um, Carousel, were based on plays. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, these are based on books. And then Sound of Music is also based on a memoir as well. So they, they turn to books later than just adapting plays and musicals. But yeah, I don't know, the, though, if it was like a, one of them knew about it and had the idea versus like someone approached them, because I feel like you hear about that a lot, too, with musicals is that true. someone will like pitch them. Here's yeah. this thing you could make a musical out of. And I don't know yes. which one it was. Yeah. Yeah. So specific, I can tell you it was brought to them as mm-hmm. an idea for something to do. Um, so the musical, which the, so the book, the Tales of the Specific, the book had come out in 47. The musical debuts on Broadway in 1949. Mm. So this is like, that's quick. Very quick. Yeah. Um, Were these songs like these, were these already? Nope. All new. All new. Wow. Yeah. Not like a Cole Porter. Let's pull it out of the. uh... So in the Rodgers and Hammerstein chronology, Uh this is post Oklahoma was their first. Mm -hmm. Carousel was their second. They hit both of those out of the water. They were like two of the greatest musicals ever. Great. Yeah, we love Carousel. Yeah, no critiques. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. No yeah. critiques whatsoever. Yeah. Top, basically. What I mean is, I like, they were top. critical successes at the time. <laughs> <laughs> and then Allegro happened, which is like kind of like an experimental one. one. And it was a huge yeah. flop. So then this is right after that, where they were like, oh, we got to do something. Um, so this is their Lion return. King. What was the one Disney like revived in the 90s that like turned it around for them? Mermaid. Oh, Mermaid. Thing. Mermaid and okay. Beauty and the Beast. Mermaid Beauty and the Beast. Um. Okay. So. I'm so sorry for triggering you guys by bringing up Disney. Mermaid. <laughs> <laughs> so music is by Richard Rodgers. Lyrics are by Oscar Hammerstein II. And the book, which usually is also just by Oscar Hammerstein II, is also credited to a Joshua Logan. So Hammerstein had never mm-hmm. been in the military in any way whatsoever. So he actually found it very difficult to write mm. a lot of the dialogue because he didn't understand the like how people talk in the military, like stuff like that, like the nuances of that. And Joshua Logan, who is who is the director of the original production, um, he had been in the military, so he helped him out a lot, um, and then asked for credit. So they gave him they gave him partial credit for the book, but they did not pay him or something like that. Mm. Something about how they like sent an ultimatum to his lawyer to be like, sign this in two hours, or you don't get to direct the show even. 
like we'll give you credit if you don't sign it, but like then you won't get to direct it, which is wild. So anyway, um, there was like a big and when he wrote his like memoirs in like 1976, he like basically was like, I could have made so much more money, but they didn't allow me to have proper credit, blah, 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 which Rich, yeah. uh, Richard Rogers refuted at some point. But did you also notice in the credits of it, of the show or the movie that it was like showing you like, and then here's the people who wrote it, blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden there was a, <laughs> like a screen that was like lyrics by Hammerstein, like <laughs> taking up the whole screen and none of the rest of the credits were like that. And then it went back to the like regular scale text. I did not it, notice that. It felt incredibly petty. And I'm wondering if it's connected to this whole thing. Yeah. Maybe. So anyway, the inception of the musical, um, they were looking for a new piece. It was brought, this book was brought to them by um, Leland Hayward, who also ends up bringing the, Sound a music memoir to them as well to adapt. Um, so they agreed to do it. Uh, it wasn't it, honestly the weird thing is like about the story is like normally I feel like in these it's like oh if this hadn't happened then this wouldn't have happened but this is so straightforward like they basically mm. everything just like works out mm. pretty easily with South Pacific. Um, they had originally they were worried that the story would be a little too close to Madama Butterfly. Mm. Which, while we were watching, Adam was like, do you know how this movie ends? And I was like, I don't think so, because I think in my mind, I'm thinking of Madama Butterfly's plot. Mm -hmm. And he was like, ah, he just gave an all-knowing, like, huh. So So that's why, because obviously the Cable-Liat plotline is very reminiscent of that. That's why they end up focusing the main plot A on Nelly and Emile. Do you want to give a a, a two-minute line? Or two minute, two lines. Two minutes. <laughs> no, but Molly would love to because we saw it together. We did see it together for my birthday one year. Mm-hmm. Um, Madama Butterfly is about a woman in Japan who has a husband who's an American GI who's not there. Um, and she's had a child with him. Um, and it, most of the opera is about her being in her house, kind of anxiously getting ready for him to return. Um, she's so excited for him to come back. And everyone around her is like, maybe you should lower your expectations. But she refuses to listen to them. <laughs> um, and when he finally does arrive, it turns out that he has an American wife um, and that he did not consider himself to be sort of committed to Butterfly in the way that she thought he was. Um, I believe she then reveals the child to him and then commits suicide. Right. Uh, it ends with a suicide, right? I'm 99% sure. Hold on. Let me just double check that. And then we can cut this out if it's wrong. You guys watch it at the Chicago Opera? Yes. Nice. Yeah. I really want to see a show there. Agreeing to give up her child if Pinkerton comes himself to see her, she then prays to statues of her ancestral god, says goodbye to her son, and blindfolds him. She places a small American flag in his hands and goes behind a screen, killing herself with her father's seppuku knife. Pinkerton rushes in, but he is too late and Butterfly dies. Yes. Cool. Thank you so much for that detailed uh, summary of the end. Yes. But she is a very pathetic and tragic character um, is sort of the again, like the true, the true sense true. of the word, not the pejorative, but the like true sense of the word. pathetic. Uh, I would say in both senses, actually, of the word. <laughs> okay. I don't, and I'm not I, I'm not trying to like judge her as if she were a person. I'm saying like, I think that the it's an Italian opera. Obviously, uh-huh. it's not written from the perspective of an actual Japanese person. Right. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I think Huge that she melodrama. is she yeah. is written to be this very passive and sad and you know feminine in the sense of not being able to take any control of her life kind of character Mm -hmm. um and so it is it fits into the theme of musicals and operas that um treat asia in a very specific way of having these very passive women to be consumed by white men yeah woof fun 
Um, so this musical. Hey, we chose to put this right after Dead Me. We knew what we were I doing. Know. Know. <laughs> uh, this musical um, does do does not do a ballet, which is like a break from the Rodgers yeah. Hammerstein tradition because they wanted to ground it in a more realistic setting. Again, this is the musical, not the film. We will talk about the realism of the film in a little <laughs> bit. Um, and uh, they, Mary Martin is ends up being cast uh, in her first role with Rodgers and Hammerstein. She had been almost cast as, uh, what's her name? Lori, Lori in Oklahoma, mm. but she didn't get it. So they came back to her. And then the guy who played Emile Debeck, his name... He was like a opera, uh, Italian opera singer. Mm. Ezio Pinza. He was a signed former Met opera star. Um, it's probably Ezio is how you'd probably actually pronounce it. Uh, he he was like much older, obviously, like narratively, he's much older than Mary Martin, um, which was not very common for the male lead of a show on Broadway to be so much older. So that was kind of like a, break with Broadway tradition. Well, they point. certainly talk about older men and young women a lot in this musical. So <laughs> they do. It's true. Um, he was not used to doing eight shows a week because famously operas don't do that. It's not how yeah. operas work. Um, so Mary Martin later would say like, she remembers that he would like start the week super strong, give 150%. And then like by the fifth performance would like barely be able to sing in the last two, he would have to call in his like his reply, his understudy to like do the last couple of performances for the week. Uh, sometimes you got to know when to market, you know, Absolutely. sometimes you just got to give enough to make sure you don't, you know, like lose your steam. for. We're the taking an life. official stance to give 75% on this podcast. Yes. We're yes. going back to that article that caused a scandal yes. a few months maybe, ago. Yeah. Maybe not like say it so just, you know, dismissively and like, oh yeah, like, you know, you don't take it like seriously. I'm like, no, not that. I'm not um, going to go back to actually relitigating that article. Yes. <laughs> Uh, Mary Martin influenced several of her own songs. Um, she came up with the idea for a scene in which she would shampoo her hair on stage, which led uh, to get, I'm going to wash that man right out of, out of my hair, which became an mm-hmm. iconic part of this. Yeah. Musical. It became so iconic that I learned in the article that I just read the introduction of because I ran out of time that, um, her short haircut became a fashion sensation and shampoo <laughs> companies began marketing a once a day use for their products, relying on Martin's example to sell it. Whoa. Whoa, that's so she, wild. Like, caused a shampoo craze. She was the Rachel of the, of the she time. Was the Rachel of the time, yeah. <laughs> but just about shampoo. But just about shampoo. <laughs> um, and then uh introduced and when he introduced I'm in love with a wonderful guy, Richard Rogers remembered that um he gave her the song. He came she came over to the apartment, he get, he played the song for her, she sang it on the piano bench at the very end. She sings, I'm in love, I'm in love, I'm in love. She sings it over and over and over. And she sang the final 26 words as intended with a single breath and fell off of the piano bench. Rogers gazed down at her and said, that's exactly what I want. Never do it differently. We must feel you couldn't squeeze out another sound, end quote. Mm. So men don't, men shouldn't give 150%, but women, women should, should yes. to be clear. That's yeah. the stance yeah. we're taking. Yeah. Yes. On the stage, on broad, like on stage, she genuinely is shampooing her hair. Mm-hmm. Yes, that was like a big thing that she actually mm-hmm. washed it. Whoa. Yeah. Did you do that in your production, Adam? That's a great question. I think it was mimed because mm-hmm. we didn't have like actual water on stage. Because in order to shampoo it, you have to be able to like rinse it with something. Um, Getting water on stage is famously difficult. <laughs> it's it's oh, a yeah. lot more complicated than you think it's going to be. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, and then for the other roles, uh, Juanita Hill, I'll call out because she ends up playing Bloody Mary in the movie that we just saw as well. So she's the only mm-hmm. cast member from the original production that does end up in the movie. Um, she is African-American. Uh, she, I believe, is biracial. She's half black and half white. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, Betta St. John, who under the name Betty Striegler had replaced Louise in Carousel, took the role of Liat. Basically, what I'm saying is I don't think there are any Asian people in, in the show. Not terribly surprising, to be honest, but um, that's what was going on there. Okay, so at the Tonys, okay, it won 10 Tonys. Wow, one? Yes, it won 10 Tonys. It won, which does include Best Musical and all four acting awards wow. that year. It's the only musical in history to ever win all four acting awards. I was going to say, didn't Hamilton, Hamilton do that, but Hamilton, Hamilton didn't get three. all four. Oh, okay. Yeah, because wow. Cynthia Revo won for Color Purple. Mm, okay. Yeah. Yep. So, um, huge. Um, yeah, big comeback. And a huge, like, a huge success to the point that when they tried it out, they were actually, like, nervous that they were, it was going to be, there was so much buzz in the tryout that it was so good mm. that when they took it to Broadway, it was going to like not meet expectations yeah. because there had been so much buzz around it. And then it still, everybody loved it. It was great. Can I um, add to that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Be- uh, article I read said before 20th Century Fox bought the movie rights in 1956, South Pacific had already earned profits of more than $5 billion. The <gasps> film version. Insane. The film version received three Academy Award nominations and the soundtrack album was in the United States top 10 for two years with 54 weeks in the number one spot. Oh my God. It's wild. The, uh, like half of the songs in this musical became like standards. Yeah. I mean, I guess wild. Hamilton is probably like the closest thing that you could compare it to now, right? Like of commercially commercially successful successful. Broadway music. Uh, It's hard because we have... Yes, I guess in the traditional sense. Yeah. Because I don't, I would say like Wicked is also like huge, obviously. But it's but, the, yeah. the tone it's, of musicals now is because so, they're those are like purposefully big budget, like massive yes. things. Well, I, I think this really wasn't at the time. I think also this was when musicals were less niche. So everybody like being in the top charts would be remarkable now. So Hamilton, I feel like part of what was big about it was that it broke out of the musical theater audience like Mm -hmm. wicked is huge with musical people yes but it didn't break out out of that realm really i mean i'm sure people go to see it and stuff but you know what i mean whereas hamilton did because it reached people who have an interest in like hip-hop and other the other genres it was pulling from Mm -hmm. so i think hamilton i'm guessing if you compared 21st century musicals based on like chart position i would guess hamilton blows everything else away so it like it is comparable but it's also not because this was back in the time when like Everyone would listen to music. Everyone is listening to musicals. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, I will just say in, in with all the other uh Tonys that it won, uh Juanita Hill was the one who won for best act, best featured actress in a musical. She was the first ever black winner of the Tony Award. Amazing. Um, and then the other awards it won were best producer, which I don't even think that's a category anymore, because isn't that just best musical and then give it to the producers? Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Um, and then best director, best libretto, best original score, and best scenic design. So swept. Okay, let's talk about the movie. Uh, it is directed by Joshua Logan. Okay, same director mm-hmm. from the Broadway production and co-writer of the book. Screenplay is by Paul Osborne. Um, it is produced by Buddy, Buddy Adler. It stars Rosanna Brazzi, Mitzi Gaynor, John Kerr, <laughs> France Nguyen. 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 
Well, this is we had the same conversation. Uh, When was it? What movie was that? It was King and I. Uh, yeah. Because she was born in Marseille. So I don't know how she would pronounce her gotcha. last name. So this is the great question that we, we could ask her because she is still alive. She's 83. Oh, should we send an email? Send an, in, an email. Should can we, we find ask her? Email? Um, can I tell you about this woman's life that I looked up earlier? This yeah. is wild. Okay. So France, it's, it's this the is, same actress from King and I or no? No, she was in the running for King and I oh, for top okay. 10, but she did not. She lost it to. Um, did she? Rita. Rita. Rita Moreno. Rita um, however, this is her first movie. South Pacific is her first movie. She didn't speak like any English because she was born in Marseille. She's French. Yeah. Um, but she uh, was able to talk to the guy who played Emile because he was, even though he's Italian, he did also speak French so they could converse on set. Um, but she uh, does a bunch of different work. She does a bunch of different films in the 50s and 60s and then slowly tapers off. She does some television work in the 70s. And then in the 80s, okay, listen to this. Wait, where did it go? In 1986, Nguyen earned a master's degree in clinical psychology and began a second career as a counselor for abused women, children, and women in prison. She received a Woman of the Year award in 1989 for her psychology work. Isn't that crazy? I love it's cool when actors go on to do other things. So the guy yes. who plays the guy who plays Lieutenant Cable, whose name is Ray Walston. He in the 70s was like, I'm over Hollywood and then just became a lawyer and then was a lawyer until 2000 when he retired. Wow. It's so cool. cool. Yeah. John. He also went to Harvard. So I think he was mm. just like bright in general. Is it well, John Kerr? It's John Kerr. If you look at the cast on the left. I bet you that he's smart, oh, yes, John but also Kerr, he's so attractive that I'm sure that that helped he's, him be. I'm sure that helped the court. Like, yeah. Oh, well. Very attractive. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Um. So Ray Walston, I'm sorry, actually played... Uh, Billis, Luther Billis, and Juanita mm-hmm. Hall, as we said, played Bloody Mary. Cinematography is by Leon Shamroy. It is edited by Robert L. Simpson. Um, the production company was South Pacific Enterprises, a production company made by Richard Rogers and Oscar Hamstein and Joshua Logan for this movie. And then it oh. never did another production. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Listen, I know that sometimes like Showgaze Productions. Well, no, I know that the military will speak. If you are showing the military oh, in a positive yeah. light, they will like give like this is why Marvel makes a lot of like pro military energy stuff oh. because they are allowed to like use certain things or like get funds. Anyway. So I don't know if that has a reason to do with it, but they do at the very beginning. They have like a title card that's like, we thank the US military mm-hmm. for allowing us to make this or something like that. Yeah. So. I mean, I would say overall, it's not, not super nationalistic, but it's Pro, that there's no criticism of the military or of the war or anything like that. So, no, and I mean, I imagine, yeah. I mean, this is like in the great canon of American wars. This is like the last one that Americans are supposed to always feel good that we like participated in. The like, great canon of wars. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like the plot. No, I'm just of, making fun of, of like canon is usually referring to like literature. Oh, yeah. <laughs> We're talking about like actual history. But yes, I think that it is, I think it's pretty uncontroversial that. Of all the wars America fought, World War II was probably the most justified to fight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It's interesting that we're doing this while Oppenheimer is in the theaters, though. And there's a lot of. Yeah. And I'm saying that America generally. made no mistakes at all yeah. when it came to. That's what, And I just want to make sure we got that on record. And I just want to make sure, especially after we talked about bad stuff Japan did last episode, what we're saying yeah. is America made no mistakes. Right. I'm, I'm totally. This is actually too awful that I just want to make sure. That we're really <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, interesting. <laughs> hey guys, real Molly here. <laughs> like having to say. Yeah, step outside. Step, of the step outside of the, the bit for just a second and say I'm against nuclear war. Okay. <laughs> wow, strong take here. Strong take. Strong take. We should not have bombed Japan with that bomb. I don't think. Sure. Yeah. Um. Well, this is also very interesting because, like, even in, when this movie comes out, obviously the musical comes out in 1949, so we're four years out from. World War II ending. Mm -hmm. So everyone is pure, like, we are so justified. Even in 1958, there's no discussion about whether we did the right thing or not mm -hmm. with with World War II. Um, and I do feel like you get a bit of the energy of, like, when they go to Bally High in the movie, and we'll get to it when we talk about it, but we, when we go to Bally yeah. High in the movie and it's like, oh, we're welcoming the white men, thank God they're here. Oh my God. Like, it has that energy. And oh, I was like, yeah. it's just like, that's why... I mean, like, truly, yes. all of these, like, <laughs> American men that went overseas to go fight in this war and had no context for, like, what was... I mean, they were just, like, doing, A, what the government told them to do because most of them were drafted, or B, like, their national pride to, like, participate in this thing because we were bombed in Pearl Harbor, blah, blah, blah. Mm. And then have no... I mean, like, it's just the the way that it... That the Pacific like war specifically what we were doing over there like even integrated itself into like american culture by like everybody getting like fascinated with like nehru jackets and like every, people brought tiki bars like over like it just like it came back because of all these guys who went over and were like this it's aspect so of this one thing was crazy yeah. and blah, 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 blah. anyway hmm. interesting i'm sure someone's written a book about it i'm sure there is a huge like tiki bar like history like it, and mm. it's stemming from like this war yeah yeah that would be that that seems That'd like it would be a cool like nonfiction book in like talking about the history of tiki bars in america but like through the lens of like and then what does that reflect geopolitically yes. right. that'd be really so, cool yeah um so it's distributed by 20th century fox it was released on march 19th 1958 i do want to say this was a roadshow film we have discussed this topic before ah, but of course a roadshow film meant that it opened in like they took it on the road to different major cities and then once a certain number of cities had seen it, then it went wide as a wide release. So honestly, bring it back. Doesn't that feel cool like idea. a, yeah. it's like an like event post COVID make it an event kind of a thing that yeah. we should. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, the Wicked movie is coming out and we can bring it back. Girl, we got some buzz around it now. Girl, so, like, you, <laughs> you want to talk buzz? Oh, you want to talk about <laughs> interest and what's going on in the set of a musical? Let me tell you about Wicked. Uh, the running time. I is a video, wait, I watched a video about it this morning, and somebody was like, "Ariana Grande had an affair with the only straight man on set of Wicked." Truly, yeah, she yeah. found the one. She found the one. Uh, and the one he is is the role that is canonically almost always played by gay men. It's very frustrating. Anyway, we're we're subverting expectations. Expectations sure. about how you cast things. Expectations about what it means to be married to someone. You know and what I mean? We're camp, subverting mama. it. That's, that's camp. camp. It's camp. Sontag would approve of Ariana Grande's affair. Is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Hi, Molly. Here, just stepping outside of the bit. We obviously <laughs> do not control. <laughs> so I love that the character of one of us stepping outside is always going to be me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey yeah. guys. Hey everyone. <laughs> Just me here. Um, so the running time of the film is 157 minutes in the theatrical version, but in the roadshow version, it was 172 minutes. Wow. Wait, what, what was the cut? difference between the two? 
50 something in 15 minutes 15 Mm. minutes Mm. uh is that a song is that extended sequences in a number well they definitely don't do all of i'm gonna wash that man right out of my hair they cut it after like the first Uh, verse uh, so i think they probably do the rest of that and i think there's like another song that felt shortened as well but it's probably just mostly dialogue honestly um budget is 5.61 mil and the box office is 17.5 mil but then it says U.S. and Canada rentals. And what does that mean? So you used to do this thing where you had to go to a store and then you would oh. rent a VHS tape and you would yeah, take it home and you'd watch it for like a week and then you'd have to bring it back hmm? to the store. No, that can't be right. But how long how long do you keep it for? What's the point of that? <laughs> Can I just buy it on Apple TV? I can't just own a digital copy that will maybe one day I won't be able to own it anymore because the rights will be passed off to another company. So everything I actually own is intangible. Yes. The the concept of ownership is slowly eroding in our culture. It's true. Well, (laughs) um, things about the production. uh, It was big. It was good. I don't really have anything else to say. Here's the thing. The director was like, okay, the iconic thing about this, and when I say iconic, I just mean the thing you remember most about this this movie musical mm-hmm. are the Technicolor sequences, the filters, the color filters on. He blend. said that. No, no, no. I'm telling you. Oh, okay. He was like, we were trying to shoot. Obviously, there's a lot of day for night shoot, which is fine, whatever. Yeah. But he was like, it's very hard when you're doing almost all outdoor shooting to have it be like match the lighting exactly from like day to day. So because they shot in like Hawaii, mostly they shot in Hawaii and then they did like um, some exterior shots and like B-roll in like Malaysia, I believe. And so uh, he was like, my thought was, is we could like amplify the like the gorgeousness of like the Polynesian setting by like having these like slight color filters on. But then like when it came back they realized it was like oversaturated, but they didn't have time to like reshoot it. So he was like very disappointed in Mm. the color sequences. However, later in his life, his son would say that the first time they ever watched it on TV, he was like, oh, it actually looks really good on the small screen as opposed to like on a, on a big screen. But -hmm. obviously this is like not this screen. This one, my 65 inch TV was probably still too, too big for what he was referring to. But so, okay. I feel like we have to pause here and talk about the version that we both watched on YouTube because I couldn't find it anywhere else. No, it's, on no, the it's not available. No, I, no. In fact, I got to the first sequence that was significantly color graded and did another yes. search just to make sure because I was like, I'll pay somebody $4 for this movie. I just, I want it to be. Molly, I told yeah. Adam, I was like, oh, they put a color filter over it so that it wouldn't get copyright struck by YouTube and then That's, they would have to delete the video. That was what I said when I got to Valley High. <laughs> do we think that the person who uploaded it to youtube like leaned in heavier or is it just the severity of what product. they did and that it's not a very high quality upload i think that's it i think okay. it's like uploading a low quality video well it's, it into it's, high it's pulled fr- you can tell it's pulled from a vhs yeah so it's already like ripped from a vhs and then like Good low word. quality uploaded to youtube at like probably 720 at the highest okay, numbers thank you um but just so i do think it's of that. part of that because i the first time i ever saw this movie <laughs> i could not even see it was just an orange screen there was a part of which it was so yellow that i was like oh you can't see yeah and i don't think that is how bad it is in the like of the version like, i remember okay. seeing but i do remember like 
the thing I remember from when I first saw this movie in like, I don't know, fourth grade, third grade was I was like, oh my God, the why, why is it, why is it color? Like it was, it's so yeah. bizarre. It's also, it's so weird in Valley High because the other, other songs that are color graded are like, it's like yellow for happy songs and like blue for sad songs. So you at least have a sense of like, oh, okay, I get where they're going with tonally. Valley High is like Barbie pink. And I, yes. I guess that it's just meant to be like other dreamy, dreamy. Yeah. but like, yeah. I don't know why that shade of pink is what they chose for what yeah. they're trying to convey. And that's why I thought like, maybe somebody just did this to get around copyright, but I guess not. I, I mean, it goes back to the whole thing of like, I think the idea is like all of these guys who had never seen anywhere in the world like this, like the whole thing is like Bally High is it's so exotic. We hate the word yeah. exotic now, but like, but it's, yeah. It's so cool because it's not normal. Well, it's, except it's, it is normal for the people who live there. Yeah, it's forbidden is a big part of it. Yeah, that's true. And it's, it's um, it's portrayed as like a paradise, like an Eden type of thing. Yes, right. Um, yeah. And it's very associated with femininity because the thing about Bally High is that all of the women got sent over to Bally High when the Americans landed there to put, set mm-hmm. up a military operation in order to protect the women, and so. Protect them, yeah. It's, um, you know, how mysticism and women get all tied up together. Fun. Fun. Yeah. Um, The only other thing I want to say is that the two opening, the opening scenes in this movie are switched from the original production. So in the original show and in the, and in the theatrical version that was released in the UK, for some reason, I don't understand this, but the show is supposed to start off with the kids singing Dite Moi, Emile Debeck's two kids. And Mm -hmm. then it has their, like soliloquies to each other and then some enchanted evening. Like that whole sequence is the start of the show. And then you go back to the camp. Okay. Um, whereas this movie does it backwards where you start with Lieutenant. I mean, they added a scene of uh, Lieutenant Cable like flying in yeah. to on the plane. But it the movie basically starts with like the men on the beach with there's yeah. nothing like a date. I could kind of tell, and I think it was partially that I remembered something about the opening of it from having seen it on stage, but also just that airplane scene felt so like we threw this into the movie version to like, just give you some exposition and really get you mm-hmm. into it. Where do you work on understand what's happening? So it starts with a scene of like, here we are flying. That over there is an Island that the Japanese control. Let me explain the layout of this place that we're going to, you know, it's very yeah. exposition heavy as so you can kind of feel, okay, this got added to be like very clear with the audience about what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then Juanita Hill, oh, I'm sorry, Juanita Hall um, plays Bloody Mary, but and obviously sang her role on stage, but she was dubbed for the movie. So they oh, dubbed wild. her with Muriel oh. Smith, who played Bloody Mary in the London stage production. The songs are yeah. everything, even her dialogue. The songs, okay. the songs specifically. The, the thing that I saw about this, I don't know if this was in the actual article I read or on Wikipedia, but it was something like that the person producing it thought that her vibrato was like out of control or something like that. And, and I don't know, it had something to do with the deterioration of her voice where I was like, the character is not meant to have like this amazing control. Like she's meant to be an older woman. Do you know what I mean? Like it it seemed weird to me to be that critical of her voice and who knows? I mean, probably she sounded amazing still at the time, but I, I feel like you could have somebody in this role who doesn't have the greatest singing voice because it would mm-hmm. fit with what the character is meant yeah. to be. So it's sort of odd. It's to so me. surprising for Rogers Hammerstein to write a, a older woman character mm-hmm. who takes yeah. care of a younger woman. It's right. That's not really there. Really it's on you. Thing. Yeah. 
Um, I think that's pretty much it. We can go to talk about the movie now. with rj no i oh, want great. to start with rj because great. we as i referenced intentionally put this right after do re mi mm. uh because we thought it would be good little balancing act and rj said that it was his first time watching yeah. this so I, I want to start with rj's reaction overall to the movie it i will say i was drawing more comparisons between south pacific and king and i in mm. terms of like just like you know what's it like to tell a story in 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 the east <laughs> um and like how effective it yeah. is and, i don't know. think that do re mi and south pacific have anything to do with each other plot yes. wise yeah, yeah, yeah but in terms of i think what i was thinking of comparing is in terms of like the perspective of the people actually making it in terms of portraying a place oh i mean like i i it was kind of hard to watch i'm not gonna lie i was on my phone a lot mm-hmm. Um, but do you okay? But in what <laughs> sense? Like, because there, it, it's a very slow film. That I, I, I is think that part of it too? That was part of it, but I think like I'm trying to remember. There was one. Mm, I'm trying to remember if like there was a clear scene that I remember taking note of. Like, okay, this I'm truly not paying attention. I mean, I guess it was more the war stuff. Like, oh yeah, <laughs> all the military <laughs> stuff me. that I was just like, I you know, I I truly could care less. I could care less. Did I say it correctly? No, you did not say it. I correctly. couldn't care less. Care less. Yeah. I just went I off about it. I just went off about it last week uh, on the Did You Read Group Chat Hut. Um, I think it's just kind of because it's running off on just one idea that like it's something like I don't know, like because because I feel like my experience on on this type of t- like story comes from like more Miss Saigon like mm-hmm. story because I I I like Miss Saigon but in terms of like the music is beautiful the performances are so good and powerful is the story like you know I mean should we be pretty, telling the story I don't know equally problematic Miss Saigon yeah I was like I I think like the idea of uh of just like just the idea of the Pacific uh campaign from the perspective of like where they like took camp in and then like kind of uh like occupied that was the word i was looking for like it's just it's so tough because even for like the philippines like today like the gi kind of occupation specifically from this war still like like still has uh like influence over the philippines today like we still have air force like american bases we um like you know we have our public transportation is a jeep you know like we eat spam yeah. like uh, so much of our culture still like modern culture today takes uh influence from the like the gi occupation that it's how i do, never I, yeah how do people talk about that time in history i i feel like i didn't i was kind of seeing more of like how it manifested to most of the media that I grew up or like pop culture wise was already so Western already. Like Mm -hmm. we were like, we were quote unquote American. I think like that. Mm. And like, that was kind of the, the fascination of that, that like we were trying to adapt like American and more Western like consumption of media or like our tastes. And so I think it was more. It's very similar to what happened with like Korea 
specifically following like the Korean War too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the, I do feel like there's a something to think about how like we highly regard it in terms of like, you know, like media and culture, but it comes from a place of like the history was that it was an occupation, you know? Yeah. Uh, so it's, and I would you, say it's very conflicted because I do sense yeah. now like Filipinos and Filipino Americans now are in a place of like, should we be like, should we try be trying to reclaim now that we know that like, or we have like a big, better sense of like, was that actually right? You know? Yeah. And you emigrated when you were 10, right? I was 13. 13. But I'd, yeah. It would be interesting if you had been in school in the Philippines for a little bit longer, because I would love to know how it gets taught, how it taught. in like yeah. a history class. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I from like getting all the way to seventh grade, the only thing I could remember was more of like a broad how what happened in World War II. And then like we got our quote unquote independence after World War II, like what we talked about in Tori B. So like, mm-hmm. I think it's still very much, it's that idea of like, now that the, like my generation now is who is becoming like, you know, like scholars and, and people that are like critically thinking about the history that we're really thinking about. Like, should we have been like, let's be more critical of like why we celebrated so much American stuff from like, mm-hmm. like, like from those, those decades, you know? Right. Yeah. Because it's very, this musical is, it's so much seas and it's not really in like a specific place. They never name specific yeah. islands, it, anything yeah. like that. Although mm-hmm. they say Tonkinese as Tonky, to describe. Tonk- but it's not like, they like how it's written, like even when I was reaching, they were spelling it like Tonkinese. Yeah. But it's not Tonga. Right. Tonga. So it is kind of like still a, a made up amalgamation. Like, yeah, it's, it's kind of yeah, an amalgamation made up place, basically. Yeah. But it definitely portrays the islands that they're in as a place that like kind of doesn't have a culture. Like every discussion yeah. is about how would people back in America think about the stuff that we're yes. doing here and whatever. Yeah. Like there's no sense. Cable has this whole conflict about like, I couldn't marry Liat. Like that right. seems, seems very, I don't know if it says this explicitly, but it seems very grounded in like, what would people back home think if I brought her back home? If I brought her back, yeah. And there's no discussion of like, what do the people here think about you marrying, marrying this woman? Someone. Well, Everything, that's the thing. Like, there aren't rules here is kind of the idea, but yeah. we have to go back to the place with rules. Yeah. Because I was telling Adam, like even the whole storyline of Emil, like even though he's very successful, it's like, but it's from rooted from like colonialism that he was able oh, to yeah. like, you know, build plantations in these islands. The and like first like, line out of Nelly's <laughs> mouth is like, so you own all of this? And you're like, whoa, all right. So whoa, we got to really whoa. think about <laughs> Yeah. I mean, the, I would say the most, okay. So what I find most fascinating about South Pacific is like, it was like the thing that excited, maybe not excited, but the thing that I think Rogers and Hammerstein specifically were trying to do mm-hmm. was like really confront like the, the fact that they were like, we can all, we can talk about race. Like we are able to mm-hmm. do this. And I think for the time that they are writing, because like the song, um, you've got to be carefully you've taught, be carefully taught. Is, was like a huge contentious, like piece of art. And it yep. was like, there were questions. Fox News whether, would have been all, oh, oh, all over they, um, they would literally call this song woke today. Yeah. It's what we live in the worst yeah. goddamn timeline. Um, <laughs> they would not play this song in schools today in Florida. Hell no. No. Oh, for sure. Um, I can, I can give you some history with that too. Oh yes, Ooh. please. This is, this is from, so the article I keep referring to that I read like three pages of, I'm so sorry, everybody, um, <laughs> is you've got to be carefully taught the politics of race in Rogers and Hammerstein South Pacific by Andrea Most, which was published in Theater Journal in 2000. Um, what was interesting is that right off the bat, Most says, 
Um, they were counseled many times in previews to cut the song for it being too controversial, too preachy, or simply inappropriate in a musical, but they really fought to keep it in. And obviously they did. It caused a commotion to the extent that when it had a performance in Georgia, a bill got proposed to ban entertainment oh. with an underlying philosophy inspired by Moscow. So oh my God. yes, I know time is a flat circle. Well, uh, also, like, I love, I love the idea that like, you know, Russia is really leading the charge on like a Galatarianism. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like no racial problems whatsoever. Yeah. Well, but it's so bizarre to think about like the, there's like a big thing with right wingers online about like cultural Marxism, which is just this like fully just made words. up idea. Just just words. Words. They're just words. And um, word soup. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, I, I I feel like honestly, they're giving Karl Marx like too much credit for how yes. he really he did not about. do that much. Guys, <laughs> yeah. he wrote a book. He was like, I am just talking about like, I'm talking about people theory, who, people who plant like <laughs> Karl Marx was like way ahead of us on trans rights, apparently, according to right wingers yeah. online. Um, so he was living in the year 3000, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so most talks about the fact that was is like kind of raised this question of like, this is 1958. This is pre-civil rights movement. Like why did Rogers and Hammerstein write this mm -hmm. thing about race? It was not really in the conversation. And I think one element, and I'm guessing this is later in the article is probably that people had had this experience of going to these other countries and I'm sure, and GIs fell in love with women there and that, that happened, yeah. right? It's like, it's um, coming basically. Yeah. Um, but also most asserts this thing that there was like this effort in liberal circles to try to make being pro civil rights and being very anti-racist as a way to be anti-communist with the argument of like, if we treat some of our citizens as second class, that those are people who are gonna be susceptible to communist ideas. And so like, we should make our society more egalitarian because that will help us remain anti-communist and that that was what Rogers and Hammerstein were doing. And that specifically from a Jewish perspective that they were trying to make being anti-racist, also anti-communist, because there was a lot of anxiety in the American Jewish community about being equated with being Jewish and being communist, apparently. So that's really interesting. And I wish I'd give you more information, but again, but, out time. Yeah. Um, but I think that that's, that's a very, that's a fascinating read in terms of what were the nuances of racial politics at the time. And also to think about this as something that chose to bring up race kind of unprompted, I think is really interesting. Yeah. And I remember having a discussion about this song in a musical theater class that I took, because in some ways, I think that the song continues to hold relevance. Mm -hmm. And in some ways I feel that it doesn't. And I mm -hmm. feel like the real problem for me is the word careful because carefully taught. carefully taught, because I feel, especially in the wake of the Black Lives Matter movement, we've become so much more aware of how much of that being taught is not intentional, right? That mm -hmm. prejudice happens through osmosis and assumptions and everything around you telling you something without somebody having to tell you to be prejudiced against somebody. And so it feels very like this song to me now feels very the way that we thought about racism in the like mid 2000s when I heard people talking yes. about it as a thing of like that's a thing that mostly doesn't exist anymore there are some weird people in a couple places where their parents are really racist and they're those racist parents taught them to have prejudiced ideas and that's still a thing that exists in a couple spots that we should really stop but like that's kind of it because it's the carefully taught and then also uh there's a line that's like to be taught to hate the people your relatives hate so it's very like mm -hmm. focused on like the family is the one who influences that mm -hmm. um way of thinking 
which really kind of lets the rest of society off the hook for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, but I also think it's interesting and I'm stalling for time because I had a second half to this thought and I have forgotten it as I'm talking. Um, so maybe I'll just (laughs) let somebody else say something and then I'll pop back in when I remember the second half of what I wanted to say, would either of you like to pick up the conversation thread? It makes me think of the idea that like, well, I don't see race. So it's yeah. like that, you know, it meaning like I never taught you to be racist because it's not like it shouldn't matter. Like it doesn't matter. Yes. You know, I you don't see race. So it is that like early 2000s-ish like idea of like well, racism doesn't exist because it's like, it's not like my parents told me that like, you know, hate, hate a brown person yeah. or whatever. But it's because of the absence of like thinking about it deeper of like thinking about like, well, why... Like, why do people, you know, like it, that is the, it's yes. the, it becomes an excuse, you know? I think, thank you for picking up the conversation. And I don't now remember the second half, which is, I think what it is speaking against though, is the idea that it is natural to be prejudiced. That is mm-hmm. the thing that he starts the song off with is like, it's not something that you are born with. It is something mm-hmm. that you are taught at a young age. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that is probably the part that was revolutionary at the time. Cause I do feel like there was uh, a real, like, strong justification of American racism that had to do with like, it's natural for like the races to be separate. And like that, 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 that was how things like should be, or like, that's what God intends or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, yeah. I think that the idea of having prejudiced ideas is not actually natural in any way, I'm mm-hmm. guessing is the part that was really revolutionary, revolutionary at the time. Yeah. Let's listen to a little bit of, you've got to be carefully taught. You've got to be taught to hate and fear you've got to be taught from year to year it's got to be drummed in your dear little ear you've got to be carefully taught you've got to be taught to be afraid of people whose eyes are oddly made and people whose skin is a different shade you've got to be carefully taught you've got to be taught before it what i think is so fascinating to finish my top my thought from earlier is how i think this movie and this show in general that was not a drag at you by the way i like where that conversation went um i think it's fascinating how this piece like very clearly is trying to grab like both of these plots are about racism like yeah that's true the show is about world war ii in the way that like yeah in the way that it's not i mean it's really it's It's really it's 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 set in world war ii II, but it's not really about the war yeah right it's about racism and i think like it is for 1949 when this musical came out like it's great that that's you know we got to that point but it does feel it's the thing of like when you look back when we do revivals we had this conversation with carousel where it's like should we be doing revivals should we never like what we have in order to engage with this art you have to in good faith like explain you can't leave it uncontextual you have to talk about it in context of me being like okay so this is 1949 We've come a long way since then. There's still going to be... Then so, it's like, this show still has stuff that's like... Mm, yeah. And it's not even like, obviously, Nelly specifically like espouses beliefs that are like, oh, girl, girl. But that's like 
specifically that's, suppo- the, point. that's the point that's, of it yeah, yeah. Like she she's like stupid because she's an idiot but they knew that writing it but then there's like the whole like the bally high stuff the like bloody mary all of bloody mary's character like well that idea we talked about in king and i were like you know casting an authentically thai production of the show doesn't actually solve, solve the, the, the prejudices yeah. of the show. right you know? yes yeah um, i yeah. We could we could dive into some specific couples, but I would love to talk about Nelly too. If we just were like cutting right to the heart mm. of the let's go to Nelly. Uh, let me tell you <laughs> Nelly's Nelly's story in the original book. Yes. So Emil has eight daughters. Oh wow. in the original book. Very, very um virile, apparently. Um in the book, Nelly is fine with people who are white. Or as described, yellow. However, six of his children were from a darker skinned Polynesian woman, and she refers to them as the N-word. Oh no. And this is her problem. Her problem is not the two children that are like very Asian-centric. Uh, like mixed French and Polynesian, but like the re- the darker skin ones are her problem. So it's like colorism more so yeah. than racism. Yeah. Wow. And so they obviously simplify it. Obviously, the, well, A, they're not going to cast H. That's insane that they're yeah. eight children. <laughs> it's yeah. wild. Um, and I think it's probably a little bit neater and neater and tidier to just be like, her problem is just like he slept with an Asian woman or he had, he fathered Asian children. But yeah, that is textually in the book. Yeah. what her issue is so well, just to be clear it's very interesting in the musical i assume this is the same line in the, the musical as the movie so I'll, but i'll just speak to the movie so in the movie she meets his children she freaks out she leaves he comes mm-hmm. back to talk to her later and he's like so can you like clarify for me what the issue is, is your issue my children yeah and she says no to be clear her, her issue are- is not that he murdered someone I just would have no, made it murder. clear because that was like, you know, I just met you, but I think that's fine. weird that they like include it as a plot point because I, I'm like, yeah, it's we have to go back. We have to yeah, go back yeah, to the yeah. murder because I, re- yeah. I want to talk about the murder very badly, but not right now. Yeah. So, OK, <laughs> put a pin on that. Put a <laughs> we're going to pin the murder. We're going to pin the murder and we're going to come back to the murder. Um, He he says, you're issue the children. She says, no, your children are really cute because we all know racism can't stand up against cuteness. And then. <laughs> <laughs> And then he's like, so your problem was my wife. And she was like, yes. And she kind of says like, I know that that's kind of messed up, but I can't get past it. So she claims at least that she does not have an issue with the fact that he has mixed children. It's the fact that he had a wife who was Polynesian and that that really bothers her and she can't get past it. So that I think is really interesting, especially because like the children are still around and the wife is dead. Yes. Yes. I don't know. Like that's what she says, but it, surprises me that that would really be the thing that she has an issue with um and i don't know so it's like and i don't know if that's like on purpose like it is purposely confusing in that way or like backward quote unquote backwards to be like she's upset about something that has is done and there is no there's no even like i have always interpreted it as like she is her 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 mother no, well she talks about yeah. her mother's like prejudice in yeah. the film she uses the word yeah. prejudice but yeah um i i've always interpreted it as her issue is like the fact that the idea that emile could love yeah a, a, a non-white person yeah yes 
Yeah, I think that that's right. And I guess in a way, the line about, well, I don't have an issue with your children has to be there so that you feel like by the end when they get together that she like sees the children as people and cares about them and that you can like believe that and not be concerned for them that she's she's going to become a stepmother to them. Yeah. Um, And it's interesting. So, okay, here's what I want to praise first. We've talked before about the fact that I think there needs to be more media that has characters who you can empathize with, who express racist ideas, because we need to have white people seeing people with prejudices that they are able to imagine themselves in and see them challenge their own prejudiced ideas. If Mm -hmm. every character that you have that has prejudices is just a caricature villain, it's very easy for people who have power to just say like, well, I'm not like that person. Mm-hmm. Uh, no need to self-reflect. I'm certainly not Kirsten Dunst in um, uh, Hidden Figures, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, so I like that. I like that Nellie is like a beloved character in the musical theater canon. People want to play that character. I've never heard somebody yeah. be like, I'd love to play Nellie, but like, oh, the racism part would be hard to do. Like, yes. Right. Because she learns, she learns, she changes. She learns, she, she learns her lesson. She's admirable for other reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and even, and maybe part and of what so makes it young. work. She's, I feel like she's like 19. Pin that. Pin that. Pin that. Um, <laughs> two pins on the I mean, board. I don't think Mitzi Gaynor was 19, but board. I think, yeah, yeah. Um, so she, I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought thinking about how young <laughs> sorry, so, many pins. Uh, so many pins. And I think part of what makes it work too is that she, even as she is dealing with it, acknowledges like, I don't have a good reason for the way that I feel. And I, like, yeah. she, she kind of like is negatively reflective about it immediately even as she's struggling with her own prejudices Mm -hmm. and that's the i think that is like an admiral part to watch that it's like there's a there's a person who's like i know this is wrong of me but like i can't help it and i don't know why like i'm confused as to why yeah and i I mean yeah she's that's like her whole character is i mean she sings a song called cockeyed optimist which like in the show, it's, I think, the first song in the actual musical, like the first full song, mm-hmm. is her being like, I'm so naive and young, girl. Like, I don't know anything. So I do think that yeah. is, like, part of how she gets away or the character gets yeah. away with being like, I'm so confused because I've never, like, she's never had her beliefs challenged, like, ever right. in her life. Yeah. And I think we can all probably empathize, probably not with, like, the specific situation of being like, I'm freaked out that my partner dated someone of a different race. But, like, <laughs> the having that feeling of like, I don't know, I'm having a negative reaction to this thing. I don't know why. And I'm going to need to examine that is probably something a lot of people can relate to. Mm-hmm. So I think that's all good to have portrayed and have it be in a story that we continue to tell. Mm-hmm. What I think doesn't work <laughs> is like, why does she learn to not be prejudiced? She, she sees that Emil is in danger. And I will say on a romance level, I'm not like a huge Emil Nelly person, whatever. Mm-hmm. Some Enchanted Evening absolutely slaps. It's amazing. But like, yeah, I'm not yeah, in love yes. with this couple generally, but it worked for me in the movie when she's yes. like looking at the other <sighs> island and she's just like, live, just live, please live. And there's like the yeah. utility of that moment of her just like begging for that to happen with no power over it. I think yeah. it's really beautiful. I had the but, exact same reaction, Molly. Yeah. I literally at the end started laughing uncontrollably and Adam was like, are you okay? And I was like, it worked. I don't know what to it tell worked, you. Girl, it worked. They got me, gal. I, I was rooting for them at the end. <laughs> but I also feel like basically the narrative is she has this prejudice. She can't get over it. She realizes she loves him so much. She's going to get over it. It's like mm-hmm. the plot. And that 
almost portrays it as like, it's a flaw of his that she gets over. I know that that's not their intention because I know that they had the song and they really wanted to keep it in. I understand that their intention was in fact to preach tolerance, right? Mm-hmm. But tolerance. the actual All you need plot, to do is tolerate tolerate people of color. People. Uh, we know they're annoying, but you got to tolerate them. Is you that with tolerate our face, right? yeah. This is Molly stepping out of the pot. I'm obviously joking. <laughs> Hi, Molly here. Just wanted Hi, Molly, to, uh, to clarify. step out of the bit. So we're goofing. We're goofing in this bit. <laughs> okay, back to the plot. So it's really just the level at which she loves him that makes her choose to not be prejudiced anymore is kind of the text of the musical, I feel. And I think a better text would be to have her have an interaction with a person of color that causes her to realize yeah. how she has dehumanized them previously. Right. I mean, yeah. maybe yeah. not, maybe that's not the best way to do it, but I don't really get what they're trying to tell me about what it means to unlearn your prejudices through the fact that, that it's just that she loves him so much. She chooses to get over it. I don't, I don't know what they're trying to there was a Advocate little for yeah. sense that I felt in that moment when Bloody Mary and Liat comes and she kind of like sees that Liat is also oh. like heartbroken and she kind mm-hmm. of sees like, oh, we're all the same. We're all just yeah. trying to love that. I to me was like, OK, but I kind of saw that it's like that was their attempt to kind of showing her how to get over no, that's it. a good that's a good interpretation and i think maybe that is supposed to be in there and i was kind of missing the significance of i guess because i think maybe the reason that got undercut for me is that mm-hmm. uh before that is when she's talking to the island right and she says like the only thing that matters is us being together just, yeah so yeah. i was taking that as like that's the moment that she says i'm not uh, going to be prejudiced anymore yeah but i think that that does make sense for her seeing liat's pain to be her ability to then oh, yeah empathize with people more on a human level yeah (laughs) i it did make me laugh when she when when the two of them walk to her and and i think they say something like uh are they gonna be okay or whatever or have you heard anything from them yeah (laughs) she goes who are you (laughs) it was like this could take she had no idea who these this is a this is a show that this is a movie that does not pass the bechdel test in any in any sense of the words i mean I did. Part of me appreciated that they acknowledged like, hey, these two characters haven't had an interaction. I've never interacted with who you are. But like, maybe you could have had them interact and that that could be a thing that pays off in this scene rather than literally being like, you're who? You were going to marry him? Oh, dang. Oh, I've got bad news for you. Like, what a what a wild way for that to unfold. It's like, and you are like, just out of nowhere. So funny. RJ, did you see Lieutenant Cable dying coming? Mm. I did not. Did you, Molly? You knew. I know because you had seen it before. Yeah. I, I truly, I didn't. I really didn't know where it was going. I, because even when they were like going on their mission, I had to like, I reacted to Adam. I was like, oh, that's right. This is a plot. I was like, oh, I completely forgot that this was right. This I is love RJ that earlier you said that you like tuned out for all the military stuff because I'm sure that that whole plane sequence was them being like, and then this is the banger in the middle is that you get this whole like thing I know I had on two lines and RJ was like, this was is the, like, this is the uh, part. Just, just tell me when he it died. was <laughs> close enough to a helicopter for me to really appreciate it. But I, you know, sure, <laughs> it wasn't yeah, yeah. quite a helicopter mm. sequence. So it had some flaws. It's, it's more of like the audible. I need to hear the mm-hmm. propeller. 
It's the opening sequence of Music Man, but instead they're in helicopters. Oh, wow. So has like, no, one, no one has done a top number with a helicopter blade, like, you know, keeping the tempo. And I think that's a shame. There was no like a Gene Kelly movie where he was about to skydive, but first he had to do like a tap, a, Ooh, a tap routine inside the helicopter. In 20 years when we're just doing AI movies with uh, <laughs> amalgamations of actors, I'm sure that we're going to get that one. Um, yeah. Well, we'll do, we'll do like a Donald Trump biopic, a presidential musical and one okay. song will take place on Marine One. And so that's how you'll get your helicopter moment. Wow. Sure. What yeah. a horrifying Deep reality you're proposing Did you tell adam is is just uh like deep in uh um pod save america right now <laughs> in the oh, Trump yeah. indictment that's that's where rita went to the last same time rita, episode, so. you, rita. um okay wait what are we talking about we were talking about we weren't talking about anything no you were right it was the, the war time. part and and did you did you see his death coming and Oh, yes. Did you see Cable's death coming? I think actually, though, before I started watching it, I remember that he does not end up with Liat. Like they don't mm. successfully overcome it, but it. I couldn't remember why that happens. Um, and it's interesting, mm. the fact that they just sort of avoid the question in yeah, a way by having him die. <laughs> yeah. Let I me say that. Yeah. Go on. There's go on. something about. I will say I didn't know. I didn't <laughs> think really quickly. <laughs> Quickly before you speak, um, <laughs> I'm the one who always does it, so it's it's only fair. It's only we fight fair. back. Um, I do think that I I didn't think that they were going to end up together. Yeah, but I wasn't. I didn't want them to end up together. Mm. I kind of wanted to be like, I don't. I'm not a hundred percent into the situation, so I would much rather see why. it like. <laughs> so I'd much rather see it like and melodramatically. I really yeah. like their love story more than I, I will be very honest. I like their love story a lot more than I like Emil and Nelly's. You um, like Cable and Liat. I do. I think it's very like young lovers. It reminds me a lot of the one in um in King and I. I think just the setup is a little too sus. Like I didn't. Oh, no, it's not. It's not. I did. No, 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 no way. I'm saying it's like I'm advocating for like people to sell their children. I literally xed out in front of him just to give a visual underscore of how much he doesn't support. Adam Adam physically was like Adam here. (laughs) Hi, just stepping out of the bit a little bit here. No, I think like the to me because I I could see that, but I I didn't connect the young lovers trope completely because I was so bummed out about the like, and this is my daughter, and this is her. like the, that was too much for me that I was like, if he had like seen her like in the island, like who's that beauty or whatever, I could have kind of been more like, oh yeah, it's like a natural progression of like, he did so see you didn't other. like how Bloody Mary set it up. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, what, can I go back to me? Christ on the cross. Let I me just talk. said Adam. I literally <laughs> passed it over to you. What I like about the the cable Liat story is that is the story that feels like thousands of men probably have had mm-hmm. while on deployment in or imagined like that was, or imagined that was like the and fantasy. I think for a lot of men, like it really may have come down to the idea, like maybe they really did fall in love, have a young love with a like a blah, 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 whatever. And I'm sure for a lot of men, there was the like, but I could never bring her home because my family won't accept her. My community won't accept it. Like, blah, 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 blah. I like that aspect of it because I'm sure more than the Nelly Emile situation, which is so yeah. niche. 
you know how often That's like true. nurses met those like French colonial <laughs> plantation owners and mm-hmm. felt like, okay. Like I like that aspect of the show. It I wish reminds the- me. Sorry. It kind of reminds me a little bit about like, because there are stories of like queer or like gay men or men in like Asia, like China, Japan, even in the Philippines to, to some extent when they go to America or like the West and they like have boyfriends or whatever. But then it's always like, but knowing when I go back to my country, like I can't, I have to marry a woman and like still, mm-hmm. it's that same kind of oh, thing that you're interesting trying to comparison. Yeah. Um, But you may speak now, Adam. Because uh, this is your story as we'll a white man. We'll give the white man permission to speak. <laughs> The only thing I will say is I I appreciate the song You've Got to Be Carefully Talk because technically we have not moved on from that song. Um, <laughs> but I would say that I wish, and I understand that in the book, Nelly's characters from Little Rock, blah, blah, blah. It just does the thing again that I really am so tired of where it like, he's from he's from philly so he like kind of gets race a little bit more than she does like it's uh, the south is always uh, characterized as the one who like really is like oh they just don't get it at all like he he's quicker on the uptake so he gets to sing the song about like you've got to be taught to hate people but that's interesting i mean that's a good, yeah i didn't I never think about that, that but i actually was gonna say i feel like him being from philly has this whole there's an expectation about how my life is going to be that I feel like is not there for Nellie's character. So there's, there is actually, I think some subtlety to the idea Mm. of like Northern racism that exists in it because, Mm. um, so when he talks about his fiance, he, he has this whole thing. Well, yeah, I got this like, Oh, that's right. I remembered. (laughs) Oh, Oh shoot. I forgot that I have a fiance. Well, he does say in the song about her, uh, which is called my girl back home. He does not say he loves her. He does say he likes her a lot. So, you know, not, Oh, I know that he doesn't love this woman. I thought I didn't need him. I think it was very clear. (laughs) So he, his whole deal in this relationship is that, he has this girl back home that he is engaged to and he's supposed to go back and he's supposed to be with her and that that's wrapped up in the idea that he continues on his family business and that it's very clearly about an expectation about how his life would unfold. And the unsaid part of the song is like, we cannot slot into that life. If I, if I brought her home, it, it would mean losing the status that I have been afforded through the engagement that I actually have back home never a mention of what it might be like for her to have to go back to the United States. That's just not a concern. Um, unfortunately, but that is, that's really like what cables plot line is about. Yeah. I think that one cable is, um, a fuck boy and I'm not interested in him. (laughs) (sighs) The fact that he just forgot that he had a fiance that he so quickly falls in love with Leah. I mean, he's just, He's not a, he's not a person of substance. And that is disappointing to me because he starts, Adam is struggling with the fact that I use that term. <laughs> um, uh, the fact that he starts the musical, especially because of how they set it up in the mm. movie where we start with the plane scene and we see him as like, he is the serious guy in this yes. operation that has kind mm-hmm. of lost yep. itself. Like there's a dude who's like not wearing a shirt who like comes back into the plane and is like, Hey, a new guy, the captain wants you to go sit up with him. And the captain has like a, has like a little a cigar. Like, corn cob cigar and like a <laughs> jaunty hat. Like everybody is not taking their job seriously. And Cable is like full uniform, very serious. Yeah. He then mm-hmm. when he gets to the beach, he's like telling the men like, Hey, the captain told you to move this boat, go do it. And so at first you're like, here's this serious man to do this like mission. 
and he like really cares about stuff. And then mm. everything to do with his relationship with women does not reflect any sort of like sense of moral character when it comes <laughs> to having relationships. So that very disappointing to me. Um, especially such an attractive young man, you know? I know. Very attractive. I know. Uh, I think, RJ, that it's interesting that your big issue with it is the fact that it's like constructed that he meets her. So Bloody yeah, Mary, yeah, yeah. who I feel like we've talked about, but not really like yes. fully laid out because I didn't include her in my summary. She is this very enterprise. She's a very mother courage type figure. I'm sure that's oh, more accessible to our listeners. Than absolutely. Now they didn't get it. How on earth is mother courage more accessible? <laughs> it was it was a joke, Adam. That was stepping out. Sometimes I make um, references to very niche parts of theater that mm. um, I think that the listeners might appreciate. Um, and Adam sometimes misses things that I'm saying. So I just want to let the listeners in on kind of the dynamics of what just happened in that exchange. So anyway, going back into the pod. Um, so Bloody Mary uh, like trades with the guys on the island. She is this figure of kind of cultural um, translating for them, that kind of yeah. thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and we actually start with this song, Bloody Mary is the girl that I love, that is very clearly meant to make fun of her as being this like older and not attractive yeah. woman. The, the joke of the song is that you wouldn't be in love with Bloody Mary. Yeah, she they're kind like, of, what a shame. It's it the is. Ruth song from Pirates of Penzance. All over yes, again. Yeah. it is absolutely the Ruth song. Um, she kind of comes on to Cable. And so you think that the joke is going to be that she likes this cute guy and, and is not appropriate. Mm. But it turns out that she's trying to get him interested in going to Bally High because she also sings the song about Bally High that sets it up as like, oh, it's this place you, you really want to go to. Um, so he does. And then it turns out that Liat is her daughter and that she was trying to kind of like get him interested in Liat and get her married off to him. Um, what I think is, I have two, so I have two issues with it. Mm -hmm. One is there Just is two? a sense of, <laughs> there is a sense I feel in the music also of like foreboding that happens with Bali High, especially as he's like leaving after he first meets Liat and falls in love with her, that this sense of like, he got tricked. He, he got taken mm -hmm. in. And I think that that is really insidious and gross. This idea of like going to the Orient and being overtaken and being tricked and like, they're going to, mm. th this mysterious other is going to get you kind of also a feeling, like right? The like technicolor filter and like the, 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 like the haze, what is that the called? Perceptibility of the actors with the technicolor filter. What is yes. the, what's the vignette? The vignette too. Yes. It just very has like an opium den kind of yes. energy of like, very, yeah. Mm -hmm. yes. yeah, 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 yeah. Very <laughs> unreal space that this all happens in. Mm -hmm. Um, but then RJ, even if we didn't have that plot, um, mm -hmm. let's, can you tell us one more time the, the title of that song that he sings about Liat? What is, what is the title of it? Oh, Younger Than Springtime. <laughs> yeah. And then throughout the musical, throughout the musical, how do they refer to her? Little a, girl. Yeah, little even, girl. Yeah, that's so, even in Nelly, it was like, oh, that's, Nelly was like, oh, that's right. You told me about your little girl. I was like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> His whole song to her is like, I want to be so clear. The thing I like about you is that you are so young. You're, you're a very, very young, a young girl. That's just like the whole deal. Like, and let me tell you the ways of how young you are. Yeah. Let me give you some example. I want to throw in some metaphors about youthfulness <laughs> is where I'm feeling right now. He sees oh, this woman God. within 30 seconds. They're making out with each other. And yeah. I'm saying woman because it makes me feel more comfortable. He sees a girl yes. within 30 seconds. He's making out with her. And the yeah. thing he loves about her is how young he is. There's a part in the song where he, he starts to say like this. And the thing about you being young, he says like, 
what I love about how young you are is that it makes me feel young, which also he's supposed to be young. <laughs> like there's not, it's yeah. not like he's an older character either. Um, yeah. So that's weird that he already needs her to return him to like, I don't know. <laughs> he's like 19 and he's like, oh, you make me feel 16 again. Like, I don't know. I don't know what's happening with that. But I thought that he was going to say. That's like, so interesting. There's another Rogers and Hammerstein. Uh, 16 going on 17. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, to be 16 again. I guess that that was somebody's peak year or something. I don't know. Um, and okay. I thought that at one point in the song, it was going to turn into like, and then when you're not young, here's what I'll love about you. Because I was like, surely we're going to get to something that's about her. That's a, an element of her life and personhood that will maintain when she ages, but no, 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 but that's, no interest in I that. mean, I love that you think that a 20 year old white man would ever think about anything past living in the moment. That's lovely that you have that idea i think that's why young men go to wars because they don't realize that yeah. like the future is a concept that actually does yeah. exist yeah which is another reason that i'm very glad he doesn't end up with her because there is mm-hmm. no sense that he has thought about the idea that marriage can't talk to each involves... other yes yeah. so that's that would be number three but i just want to finish <laughs> off the thought that marriage involves being with somebody past when they're young that's that's a pretty important element Typically, of it yeah. um yeah. but yes the third thing would be that she can't speak the same language as it. They both say they can speak a little bit of French. So like there's some level, but there's a whole song of her mm-hmm. mom telling him about how great their life is going to be with the two of them just living there. Okay, well, okay, stop talking. Yes. <laughs> younger hey. than, we're going to listen to Younger Than Springtime. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then we're going to listen to a little bit of Happy Talk. Okay. And then RJ is going to talk to us about Happy Talk. Okay. Younger Than Springtime are you softer than starlight are you warmer than winds of june are the gentle you gave me gayer than laughter are you sweeter than music are you Angel and lover, heaven and earth are you to me. And when you're talk about the boy saying to the girl, Golly, baby, I'm a lucky cuss. Talk about the girl saying to the boy, You and me is lucky to be ah! Happy talking, talking, happy thoughts. Talk about things you like to do. You got to have a dream. Have a dream How you gonna have a dream come true If you don't talk happy And you never have a dream Then you'll never have a dream come true 
about the night. Talk about the. Let's talk about the moon. Something in the stars. Talk about the moon. There is okay. Happy talk. Sitting in the sky, looking like a lily on a lake. It was. It was so fascinating to watch because it, on paper, or like uh, face value, it's like look, like it's it's them, it's them planning out their beautiful life. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't help but think, like, okay, what is her mo? Is it because she wants Liat out of here? She's like, let's give her a bright future. Let's take her to Philadelphia or that's, whatever. That's the typical storyline. I think it's a typical storyline. But then in the movie, she says, I've made so much money off of the war. And if the war keeps going, then the, at the rate it's going right now, mama, we're making bank. OK, so you can live here and you don't even have to work. I can take care of you and Liat. And then she says, because I can have beautiful mixed babies. And it just made me think about like. It just it just made me fully question about like what what are what is the true motive? Like, is it still continuing this like. Ex, quote unquote exoticism, but then from the other aspects like it's from her being like well i want to show that i have like european white babies too and that based on the reception they get in valley high would perhaps give her better social status if she had mixed grandbabies yeah so i was like okay so then is she like girl bossing like she's trying to like find a way to like be like empress of 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 this of this island nation so i i was just i was confused because when she when he says no like he's like i can't marry her like she kind of takes it out on liat of like yeah almost like you it didn't work like she throws the watch it's like oh blah 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 and then like doesn't really get mad at him but what does she do who does she then promise liat to a french a french colonizer i guess another french plantation Yeah. So I first of all, I'd like to say that I I actually really like the character Bloody Mary um, because in breaking from their typical like older lady is the moral compass. Like I like Mm, how complicated she is as a character and that she's not really clear. And I do like the idea that she's well, I guess this is more in line of all of the other matron characters of Roger Harrison, but she's like a businesswoman. Like she's like she she has like clout over whatever dominion that she has over. And for here, it's interesting that she has it for both the, the Island community. And then also like the GI, like the Navy, like she has a presence and clout that they still kind of look towards her or at least like respect her enough. You know, she reminds me of the guy in what is his name? Allie in Oklahoma, the like traveling salesman, where it's like a very opportunistic character. The one who gives them like the tap number basically in the train station. No, no, no. That's no. The one who like comes into town and is like selling like the peddler Mm. who's like selling the scents. Oh, okay, okay. Um, He's supposed to be like Persian or whatever. Oh, yes, yes. yes. Um, I like her for that reason because I think it's kind of interesting, but also I... I think her whole thing is just like, I want, I mean, like they specifically write the line for her to wish that the war goes on longer so that she makes more money. Like, I think it's very pointed that she is not, she doesn't necessarily have the best interest of her daughter in mind, but (laughs) there is no love between these two characters. And that's why, and that's why. But in, in terms of like our last movie, right? Do you mean? Oh, two movies ago, we talked about Gypsy and how like at the end of the day, there does seem to like actually be like care and love that that Rose, Mama Rose has for her daughters. Yeah. You do not feel that with no. Bloody Mary and 
um Liat. Liat, but it's still like Bloody Mary is like a comic figure in the musical. Like she's yeah. still like played for laughs generally. I think it's just really interesting that they I mean you can debate whether or not they thread the needle with that, but I think it's impressive that they even tried to like kind of have Give nuance this. in that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um that's all I have it just made me feel confused, which I think mm. is the point. Yeah, I wonder. Yeah, I wonder if maybe you should think that she is saying that they're going to live there, but her goal would be eventually for him to take her back to Philadelphia. Or if we understand that all these French guys are colonizing these islands, if she just thinks like the future is going to be that that's going to be me up there at the top of the hill. Yeah. So like the best thing I can do is get my grandbabies into the colonizer class instead of the colonized. Yeah. Uh, My my overall take with, I think, South Pacific generally um, is that I I think it really does fit in the I mean like Rogers and Hammerstein stereotypically has this very like oh everything's so clean and it wraps up with a pretty little bow at the end of each mm-hmm. musical but they really do tackle complicated issues and most of their do. musicals yeah. don't end neatly like they really have like rough edges to them yeah and I think this does fit into the con- that conversation with that canon as well um, but I think because it is specifically like about racism I think we or I'll speak for myself. I think I wish this like was more neat in the way that it ended so that I could feel better about being like, oh, I like did enjoy it in certain aspects, but it's not perfect. But I also think that it not being perfect is why it's a, you can tell it's a Roger and Hammerstein yeah. because it's not, it's not neat. It's not, it's a little messy. Yeah. yeah. I will, I will agree with the thing you said earlier about liking Cable and Liat more to the extent that I wish almost that they were the central couple and that the, Rogers and Hammerstein chose to actually address how would that end other than killing Cable off. I wish that they had like really they, they resolved made something a decision. To, yeah. 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 But then I also wonder like, because then it would be like, what I I would love to see, like I wish you could see Liat's reaction to finding out that Cable had died. Like I wish that was a part of the show. We but do. then I also no, you see like the hug. She says, Oh, honey. And then like she hugs her. Oh, like we got to see her process like, it verbally yeah yeah something okay. anything yeah anything more than that um but then that would have to be two women talking to each other about something other than a man it would be God a man forbid. it would be about oh, the man it dying would be, it would be a yeah. dead man oh, but it would be, be a still be man and the bechtel yeah oh, God. um but then i also am like i don't know then we run into the thing of like with uh king and i where it's like well then you're writing like from a perspective that you literally i mean That's you don't true. know these fucking people at all. like these are just like stock at least, tropes at least they made them one dimensional if they weren't going to have any sense of what these people right right, right. it's like pros and cons to everything it's yeah like, i really would have liked for me at least even if there was one scene where they processed that like or even complete a little bit more that storyline to show a little bit more why Bloody Mary was insistent on it. Like, I just, yeah. like, it would have been, it would have been cool to, like, even just, like, what we said, like, in her version of, like, because white, you know, because the white men are up there and we're here. Something like that, that, like, yeah. Yeah. just shows, like, why she went through all this trouble. What I'm hearing is, let's produce a sequel to South Pacific from Liat's perspective. <gasps> and it's called North Atlantic. but it would be interesting to like have a yeah it's like all of the all of the french and the local language being spoken that we 
don't hear like outside. Yeah. Well, there was Rosencrantz. There was a 1998 ABC made for television version of South Pacific starring Glenn Close as Nellie Forbush, which is insane because Nellie should definitely not be that old. Um, Wait, what year was it? 98. Yeah. How old was Glenn Close in 98? Probably in her 30s. 30s, like Mm. 35. 1947, this says. Is that true? Wow. So she's 50. Okay. Yeah. She's definitely way too old to be playing Nelly. But they try to fix, they try to solve some of the like. That's funny. Why do we think of Nelly as like a older, more rough and toughy? Maybe not rough and tough. Because Leon is like 12 years old, I'm pretty sure. So that's why we think of her as the older woman. It's like she's probably not 12, but she's. Leon's definitely a teenager, right? Like she's probably 16, 15, 16. Yeah. And so Nellie is old enough to have enlisted in the war. So she's probably at least of age. She's a, she's a, she's an officer. Um, yeah, she is, I think probably 20. I think just the officer title. And she's like, she's a Navy nurse. Just in my mind is like, okay, that immediately makes her probably tougher. But like, even in the movie, when I, when I watch her play it out, she's like, Oh, she's like, she's like simple. Like she's like a, She's like farmer's daughter almost a little bit. Like she's, I mean, I, she's supposed to be like very small town, like yeah. ideals. Yeah. I think also though, I mean, Adam, is a major city in Arkansas, yeah. but yeah. yeah, you did say like, she, one of the reasons we forgive her for her prejudices is that she's clearly supposed to be young. And we, t- we can tell that from the song cockeyed optimist. I yeah. think that that's true to some extent, but I also feel like part of that song is saying, I'm a little too old to still be so naive, but I've chosen to hang but on to it. Mm. So I guess I kind of see her as more like, yeah, like early twenties or something because she's kind of saying like, Hey, people make like, people wouldn't make fun of her for being so naive if she weren't a little too old to be so naive. So I think she is meant to be a little bit older. Um, I do want to say though. Okay. Well, we're going to get to the murder in just a second, but I want to <laughs> say in analyzing Nellie, she, she has a whole song. Where she's like, I'm gonna wash this man right out of my hair. Famously, mm-hmm. that's that's what it's about. She's like, I'm done with him. We're over. It's, mm-hmm. it's this is it. She so revolutionized play. the shampoo industry. Like she, she made shampoo. It was amazing. Hurt and plus. then Hurt and plus. then she has one conversation with him. Mm-hmm. The contents of which, as I said, we'll get to in a minute. Mm-hmm. And then she's like, Do you know what though? Oh, I just love him. I just love him so much. He's so great, mm-hmm. and I I love him. And then everyone's like, Hey, Nelly. Is that the guy you were going to wash out of your hair? Ha 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 And she's like, they're laughing at me for being in love, but they shouldn't. And I was like, girl, I don't think that's why they're laughing at you. I think you're wrong about what it is that people are criticizing you for. They're laughing because you truly seconds ago said that you weren't going to see him anymore. Yeah. I think that's why they're laughing. And you know what? I don't think that they're wrong. I don't think they're wrong to I laugh think- at you for it. It's there is a sense of like, you know what? It's kind of giving me like women today of like, or maybe not, not women today. Yes, tell us no, about women today, today, RJ. Absolutely. What, to is your thought? what are your thoughts about women today? It's not me this time, RJ. <laughs> Adam did say in the movie, he was like, she was like, it is kind of giving like white feminism today of like, uh, just like her. Oh, huh? the scene, the scene when she like is like being confronted that she's racist, and so she like runs away crying, and she's like, "I can't, oh, touch me. me, I'm sorry," and runs. Girl, it gives a little bit like like forming my own narratives in my mind. So it's like, well, he said the one thing that I was technically like whatever. So it's like he's absolved, blah 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 blah, like fully created a narrative that I am in love with him now. So, but it, I mean, she even like she is a character who also like she talks about she's very aware that her mother has prejudice mm-hmm. right she like calls it out specifically in the film but then she even is like 
she has the line about being like, oh, no, my mom like thinks it's actually great. Like she still will like she's clearly listening to her mom because she says the whole thing about being like my mom thinks older guys are better for girls than than younger men. And like that's what she's doing. She's going along with that idea. I think that's very interesting, too. And telling of the character. She sense that like when she was reading that letter or like she was talking about her mom or whatever. That she was trying to tackle like she's probably heard her mom being like I took it as like she probably knows people that are white that are like I bet she does know people that are white that are that I are think that's, dating that's probably that are, true yeah that are dating or like seeing like black men that's kind of what I interpreted as and that though that's probably the what was prescient at the time for her and her family I that, like, also the stuff about the mom though comes before she knows that he had she, another wife yeah yeah, yeah yeah so I don't think that the mom's objections have to do with race I think that the mom is saying and you know what I have some sympathy for the mom I mean obviously she had some other prejudiced ideas that I don't agree with yeah. but like what I imagine happened is her let's say 20 year old daughter said hey I um went across the world to become a, a, war nurse. a war nurse and I met this older guy from France who owns a plantation ah. here and I'm thinking about just marrying him and staying here and that's a little bit freaky probably if you're her mom and you probably write back and you say Let's maybe slow down with the marrying this guy stuff. Um, let's think about do oh, you, you have are, enough you in are common? Absolutely misreading this, and I love okay, this energy. Okay, what I, is your I mean, interpretation? I, mean, I it is not textual, so I, I will okay. I will grant you that. But I do think so maybe like I'm not misreading it. Great, cool. But <laughs> okay. The idea that it's written with the idea that the show is written with you've got to be carefully taught, specifically by your relatives about racism. I think you're yeah. supposed to infer from that that her mother is racist. I don't think it's like I, out I, of the I, realm I of possibility. That's what I was saying about her mom has other prejudices that I don't agree with. I'm just saying that at the beginning, when she says my mom has reservations about this and she's prejudiced against anyone outside of Little Rock, yeah. that that's not explicitly about race because he's white. I'm saying that, well, I don't agree with, obviously her mother taught her some racist ideas, which we mm-hmm. find out later. Yeah, yeah. That the initial reason her mom has objections to Emil, I think, might be not just grounded in prejudice. Yeah, it's more about like I met a I well, met a rich it would, it would Frenchman. Just, well, it would be xenophobia because her objection would not be that he's rich, and it's obviously not that he's old because she says that that's yeah, fine. Because he's it's French. that he's French. It's that he's French. Yeah, and maybe it's partially maybe it's a combination of xenophobia against Emil as a French person, and then just like the culture of the place where Nellie is. I'm guessing mm-hmm. that what freaks her mom out about it is like. That she would stay, that she would stay, that and it becomes her new world. Not a place that you would want to live. Mm, yeah. So I guess yes, in that way we could say maybe it's grounded in xenophobia in a couple different ways. Yeah. Um, but I do think Nellie should ha- ask more questions. So let's get into the murder because Nellie does need <laughs> to get into into the more murder. questions. The first thing we get of Nellie and Emil, they've already met. They're already starting to fall in love with each other. He in the scene is like, "Hey, I just want you to know, I do live here because I murdered a guy in France." And she's like, "Do you know what?" I just, I get your vibe I love that for, and it's I get fine. It. I love that. I love that. I love that. I love that for you. For you. <laughs> oh my God. Um, I love that. <laughs> and then some military officers pull her in and they're like, do you know, can you tell us more about this guy? Like, is he suspicious? And she's like, I mean, he seems fine. He did murder somebody, but that's fine. And they're like, okay, well, could you learn some more stuff about him? She's like, sure. And then she goes, do it. I actually know very little about that guy and I should learn more. Um, I thought that was so funny where she like turns around the door. I'm like, I guess I don't know him. Yeah. Like, as if it's like she just realized that, like, the world, like, oh, truly her whole, whole world changed. And I thought it yeah. was so funny. 
And then not only that, so one of the things they ask her in the scene with officers is what are his political beliefs? And she's like, I mm, actually don't know. I don't know. When he comes to talk to her after she's decided, maybe I shouldn't be with him because he's like older and I don't know that much about him, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Or I guess mm-hmm. she doesn't care about the older stuff. I don't know. Cable kind of cares and she kind of agrees with him. Anyway, she then in the scene where she, she talks to him again, the first thing she asks is about the political beliefs. And look, let me be clear. You should know the political beliefs of your partner before you consider marrying them. I completely sure. disagree. Right. I completely oh, disagree. You should ask about that. But it's not till later in the conversation where he again references the murder where she goes, oh yeah, I should also ask you some questions about that. And I was like, girl, girl, girl. How, <laughs> how did it not, how is that not the first thing when you saw him again, where you said, I actually do need more information about the murder. And the story that he tells her is there was this guy in my village. He was a bully. He was a jerk. Everybody hated him. And then one day I gathered everybody together and I was like, let's go get that guy. And they were like, no, we're too afraid. And then oh, it turns out he was behind me. So awkward. We got into a fist fight and I killed him accidentally. The fact that you would not say I need one other source of information about this, just to make sure, just to make sure that the story you're telling, and I get it, it's the forties and we're on an Island in Polynesia. (laughs) It would be hard to get other information, right? I I sympathize. You can't just Google crime reports from. Especially like 15 years ago too. Cause she was like, this all happened. It would be difficult, but you should not believe his version of event. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Before you commit to him, you need to find a way to get one other person's perspective. Yeah. At Before least you commit to this it. man, you need to figure out why he committed murder. Honey. Exactly. Okay? Exactly. And that's something I will take a hard stance on. Before I, you marry someone who murdered somebody else, get at least one other source of information on it. Yeah. I feel like the only reason the murder is in there is to explain why there is a French man living on this island in the south yeah, pacific yeah, they really because <laughs> it doesn't it has nothing it is like a and it is the most minor but yeah. it's like it's not it's actually not even a tension point in the film it's a curiosity it's yeah yes. it's, it's yeah. something interesting about him yeah but it's not it has she it doesn't cause her like oh i should really rethink this like it's not that and it's not a reason that they think he shouldn't do the mission. But th- that's the yeah. thing. It's, the whole payoff is that like, we need to know why he murdered someone. And then it ends up being like, well, we know he murdered someone. So he would be great, a great fit for this mission. That he's actually he's was, okay with killing. He could kill. Yeah. That was a really interesting moment of portrayal of the military. I thought. <laughs> well, well, yeah. Is anyone shocked? No, no. <laughs> um, yeah. All, that would be a great source of information. Nelly, you're an officer of the military. You could ask them maybe to find you a little bit more information about it. Cause it seems like they did their own research and found out about it. They could have told her something about it. I'm guessing. Um, yeah. I just, I just are... am more curious why it's included in the book in any way, because it doesn't, it has no effect on the story. Yeah. I wonder if it's something that's in the source material and that they just kind Probably. of like, it just like had to, stayed in and nobody asked the right question of saying like wait do we even need this part of it anymore now that we've simplified and cut down and stuff like that they knew that we were going to be critical of when they wrote out the fan in phantom of the opera when they wrote out the uh right the um the something was he an arab do you it was the persian Persian or some persians yeah and so they were like huge for the culture persians I was referencing because we talked about the Persian peddler. Yes, yes, yes. No, I know. Okay. Um, uh, Yeah, I guess that. I don't know why they couldn't just say like, he saw economic opportunity 
in because he's a French French Polynesia (laughs) girl owned by the French I don't maybe also that they felt like it's important that it ends and we specifically understand that Nelly and Emil are going to stay there and so they needed to give him a reason that he's like he's not gonna eventually go back to France yeah Yeah, but having having but having kids would also having kids in an estate is literally having a giant estate on this island. It yeah, would be but you cleaner, know that there's it no... actually would be a cleaner way to introduce the kids because she could be like, "When are you planning on going back to France?" And he's like, "Never," because my children live here. And then she'd be like, "What income, Hansel and Gretel?" Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good point. We know there's no family law though that would keep him on that island because of the fact no, that he has even if he, children. No. There's no, no there's never no family a law of, period. Yeah, her maybe his ex wife or. Uh, deceased wife has relatives who want to see their niece and nephew, grandchildren, anything like that. No. But let me just make it clear, though, that like when when, uh, the lieutenant was like, well, now that, you know, Nellie doesn't want to marry you, you have no reason to live anymore. So what's to lose? Let's do this mission. Oh, yeah. No one else. No one else relying on you or that you love or anything like that. Totally. Totally. So let's do it. Let's go on this crazy mission. Um, I'm going to play a little bit of some Enchanted Evening because it is an actual fucking Wow. Oh, a right. banger. Some enchanted evening. You may see a stranger. You may see a stranger across a crowded room. And somehow you know. You know even then. That somewhere you'll see her again and again. Some enchanted evening, someone may be laughing. You may hear her laughing across a um, but other than that, I think that's pretty much it. Do we like the show within a show, the little Thanksgiving performance? Uh, I will say, uh, Folly's number. Folly's number. Folly's number. Huge, number. huge for showcase huge for showcase cannon. cannon. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, the a pumpkin contender. outfit. It's definitely the weakest yeah. Follies. Yeah. But, but it's, it, you know, I like the scrappiness but, of it. But that's the theme of the Follies, right? It's that like, this is what we've created with our resource. It's yeah. giving Dragon a dime, you know, like. Oh, well. I like Nelly in the sailor outfit. I think that's cute. So, I yes. think the drag that the other guy does is not so fabulous. Um, what do you not think men in dresses are funny? Because inherently funny. Because that is, you know what? what? It's so hilarious. I, you know, I don't know. I don't know about it. I haven't. I haven't really fully taken a stance on drag, so I'm just not sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We didn't I, just watch this Brazil Desert or anything. That, <laughs> no, just, I didn't. We didn't have any opinions there. No. I think it is a. I'm gonna say I'm gonna wrap up my main points of the film. I think. I don't think it's a great movie. Mm. Um, probably specifically because, because of the, the color. Yeah, we didn't situation. see it in the highest quality. To be fair, yeah. Great. We also didn't see it in the highest quality, but I don't think it's like a great movie. But I also I'm trying to decide if it's like a. If we, if it's like a carousel situation where it's like, should we do it anymore? Yeah. It's tough. I don't think it's as cut and dry as carousel. I think carousel is, pr- it's pretty much like you should not do carousel. Yeah. Maybe just like songs in yeah. concert. And that's pretty much yeah. the only way you can do it. Did we have that same feeling for King and I too. I'm trying to remember. Did we, were we like, should we stop doing King and I? 
yeah, we definitely asked the question, but I yeah. don't know that we came to like a real conclusion. I don't think me and Molly as white people though can be like, well, we decided we shouldn't do King and I. Yeah. <laughs> RJ, you can decide though for everyone. No, like. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You can I'll, decide. I'll let the pod know in the future episode. Like, okay. So let you, okay. Let, you think, let, think on that. Decision yeah. you down I but think we... Yeah, with this one, it's hard because I do think there is value. I mean, like we just talked about this with Barbie where like, people were upset that Barbie didn't have like the most nuanced take of like feminism, but also like, and obviously this doesn't have the most nuanced take of racism, Mm -hmm. but I also think there's still fucking people who need to hear it. Like, I I don't think it's sick for, I don't think just because a lot of people have moved on from one one doesn't mean that like one one should stop existing. (laughs) Like I think it still needs to be. I think, yeah, I think there's also value in revisiting stuff about, early attempts to fight racism too. Like, I think people talk a lot about like, well, we can't erase racist things because we have to know that that history exists. And I think that Mm -hmm. part of that needs to also be that we include things that were very first attempts at addressing things like racism in musicals, I think is really important. I think that we've also had several moments on the pod where we talked about like problematic elements where we proposed like a line that would help change things a little bit. And so what I, I think South Pacific of all of the examples we've talked about maybe has the most potential for if we got a permission, some permission from the estate to make some adjustments, it could be fixable Mm -hmm. um, potentially. And so I think that um, if you are a musical theater writer, who's listening to this, you should write a letter before you die that gives permission for people to make some adjustments to the things that you make to reflect Mm. modern times, Mm. because there's a lot of like, do not change the words that exist in copyright law. And yeah. there are some, in some ways, good reasons for that. But I think about what Rogers and Hammerstein were trying to accomplish with this. And I think it's a shame that the way that copyright law exists now means that we like really can't make it reflect what I would guess would be Rogers and Hammerstein's perspectives if they existed now. And again, yeah. like we would maintain, like, of course you should keep the original the version in some, yeah. but also like preserve archivally what the original, original text is. Yes. But I don't yeah. think right, that, right. that because theater brings text to life, mm-hmm. I am not of the opinion that that text then should, that the baseline text should never change because mm-hmm. it changes every time you do it because you're performing it in a new context and with new yeah. people and all that stuff. And I mm-hmm. think that we should construct a version of copyright and canon that allows the text itself to change a little bit with the time too. And that that's the best way to make sure that things can continue to be sort of like ethically produced would be my take on it. I think it's a great take. Thank you. I think that's a great take too. I think like in doing a production, I would want to like, I, I, I understand. I understand the weirdness about the Bally high being like, Oh, yeah. um, Stonehenge. But also like, (laughs) I do think that that also is, a lot of people's experience when they travel for the first time at like yeah. 19, 20 years old is that like, it is exotic. And like, I don't think we should celebrate exoticism, but I do think the excitement of experiencing somewhere else for the first time does leave that, leave you with that feeling to some extent. A like, wistful, magic, fantastical. Almost. Yeah. Just like in, in, in so otherworldly. Right. Otherworldly. Yeah. And uh, I think again, if there were a moment later where, that somebody reflects a little bit more critically about yes. that being cables. If we made it more clearly, like this is cables perspective and then maybe it comes out of it a little bit. I think that could yeah. do a lot for that number. Yeah. yeah. I also think maybe you shouldn't like welcome them to Bally high, but being like, Oh, thank God the whites are here now. Yeah. Like, I think that's a little wild, yeah. but 
There was also so much happening at that celebration that I was like, surely I'm sure these are one, like it's a mashup of a bunch of things in different cultures that are like all being thrown together. And then Mm -hmm. they're probably things that would never happen at the same time too. Yeah. Yep. It's probably like a wedding dance happening at the same time as like a funeral procession. A, like a, a sure. ceremonial yeah. 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 Just every yeah. Every single thing is, every holiday is happening on the same right, day. Right, right. Uh, um, critiques. Okay, so I could not find, technically this has on Rotten Tomatoes. This has a, sorry, let me click it real quick. Well, it has an 82% on Rotten Tomatoes. No one has Leonard- any criticisms. <laughs> There, uh, there are eleven reviews. Okay. Um, but the reviews are like just random blogs, which is yeah. it's tough. I don't really want to. I'd let, rather pull from like critics and periodicals. Yeah. Um. So I'm not. I have no quotes. And we even gave the criticism on this podcast. Even the Wikipedia didn't even have criticism, yeah. which I was very shocked by because usually there's a critics, there's a criticism section, but not in this Wikipedia page. So that's where we stand on that. However, Letterboxd came in clutch. Mm-hmm. This is a 3.1 on Letterboxd, uh, 3.1 stars. And here are the, here are some of the, uh, there we go. Here are some of the quotes I pulled. Jackson gave it three stars and said, racism in my fifties musical. It's more likely than you'd think. <laughs> uh, Holly gave it two stars and said, the guy singing, there ain't nothing like a dame were hilarious. Cause not one of them looked straight. Oh my God, we forgot to talk about that song at all. We have to go back to it. We have to go <laughs> back. And then, yeah. and then Ben gave it one and a half stars and said, okay. this felt like a parody of a Rodgers and Hammerstein musical. Oh. So there you go. Yeah. Okay. How does There's Nothing Like a Dame manage to be such a gay song when it is about men desiring women? How does it do it? One of the things I like about what it's depicting about war is the idle and force Gump does this a little too, but it's the idleness of like waiting around for war to happen. Um, mm-hmm. Especially in the musical, like it does this in the movie too, but it does it more specifically in the musical where like they, the whole show is just like, they're just like sitting around on a beach waiting for war to happen. And then at the end, after the, after the mission is when they like go off to go fight the Japanese from the Intel that they found out during the mission. Um, but I liked, I like that aspect, but what I think about is interesting with the, there is nothing like a dame. I was reading in the original Broadway production, that the staging was just that they let the, it was just the men and they just pace back and forth the whole song. That's the mm-hmm. whole staging is just like they're cooped up animals that are stuck in a cage and like can't get out. And like, even though they have all these things that they get to do, uh, from like games and stuff and they're on a beach and they like they talk about like they can eat fresh picked mangoes or whatever like there's nothing quite like the folds of a labia you know what i mean and i really think that's <laughs> i think that's really beautiful when you put it like stop absolutely stop <laughs> i think maybe one i think it's that sailors are just inherently gay and that's just a thing we've established in culture right mm-hmm. um so it's very nautical and it's a lot of men all together Mm-hmm. And that feels very gay. And then I think maybe it's the, maybe the, the the thing is like, they're comparing things that are like also nice, but it's not quite having a woman. And it feels like maybe the underlying thing is like, do you know, it also could like be kind of like having a woman, but not quite. It would be hooking up with these other sailors. Yeah, hooking up with <laughs> I think a man. Maybe that's also like part of what feels very gay about the song is it feels like, something you would say to justify, like I, it wasn't that I was actually attracted to someone of the same sex. 
It's sure. just that there were no other options. So it's not quite having a dame, but like it's, you know, nothing's quite like that, but um, it sure is close. I think it's probably what feels gay about the song. The lyrics also do somehow <laughs> make it, it sounds like a gay man wrote it. Like it's mm. like, oh, definitely just like a bunch of straight guys would be like, I bet they call them dames. And I'm trying to think of this things is what I think that- locker room talk is like, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's it, very funny. It's very much serving. Um, did you watch Brooklyn Nine Nine? Uh, a couple seasons, yeah. Okay. Um, complicated things with the fact that it's about cops, but a very funny show. Um, the captain on the show is gay, and there's yeah, a whole, a whole like part of a season where he and Jake go undercover, and so he goes undercover and pretends that he's straight. And Straight Holt is like a very funny. So like his thing is that he keeps talking about how he loves the heaviness of his wife's breasts. <laughs> like he like he doesn't quite get how to describe what men find sure. attractive about women. And so that's kind of what I think about also in the song is just that like, yeah, that like straight Holt trying to be like, mm, they're just, they're voluptuous and just substantial. And so that's really what I love about my <laughs> wife and her breasts. Um, that's kind of the vibes of this song for sure. That's funny. Okay. I don't know if this is controversial or not, but my MVP is Lu- Vil- Billis. Oh yeah, Luther Villas. Yeah. Out of everyone, he felt the most like aware that I am in war. We are just doing our best to not like blow our brains out of like what the the seriousness of what is actually at stake here. So he felt the most like I'm just here to survive and have a good time and not take anything seriously because all of the other characters were like we're making life and death situations that have nothing to do with the war. Mm-hmm. So. And I thought he was great. Like he had like a really interesting like camaraderie with everyone, especially with with Bloody Mary, but then also like with with Nelly, like having to like and with Cable, he like Cable, knows like, everyone, understanding yeah. the politics of like the social politics, the social game of of what it means to live in this camp. Yeah, he's he's an interesting character because he gets to be the glue that binds the two yeah different mm, plot, plot lines together. together. Yeah, yes. he's a festy. Yes, I was about to say mm. festy like Jester kind of character that just gets to play the puck yeah okay so for mvp it's actually tough because i really like i really like mincy gainer's performance as nelly Mm -hmm. um i think i'll go with john kerr as joseph cable first of all i think Mm. his voice is stunning Stunning. he's a wonderful voice he's very handsome yeah uh and I don't know. I like I like Cable as a character. I know he's complicated, but I, I, I think he's really good in this movie, actually. Yeah. Well, I want to give a shout out to Juanita Hill, right? Or Hall. I can't remember Hall. which one. Hall. Juanita Hall. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Bloody Mary is such a weird character, as we've talked mm-hmm. about the tonal shifts that she has to do and everything. And there is I just think that Juanita brings this like sense of humanity and realness to this character that's not written to be a real person. Yeah. Um, and I want to just shout out how admirable her performance is of just dealing with this very strange material. Um, but I really actually want to give it to Nellie's little white shorts. I just love those little shorts. They're so, They're cute. so cute. I really it's like so the good. costumes in this movie. Oh my God. There's just the whole style of like the shorts and the tied up shirt. It's peak. It's peak fifties. And I One love it. One of the it. most fascinating things I read about when they were doing the original Broadway production is they, they gave each of the, um, guys who were playing the sailors, they gave each of them 50 bucks and just told them to go down Broadway to one of the surplus military consignment shops and just to buy an outfit under 50 bucks. And that's what their character would wear for the musical. 
because they wanted it to be like authentically Authentic, mixed around yeah, or? mixed around and like not super designed but yeah. also like the idea of like world war ii had just ended mm. so there were just like military consignment shops of like peacoats and like just because there was so much yeah but now that it was over and everybody had left like they have all this right. stuff they can sell i was like yeah. oh that is so weird that idea is so weird to me Anyway, I mean, yeah, military surplus stores still exist, but the idea of it being so ubiquitous, yeah, and bountiful, like yeah. byproducts of war, is definitely very foreign to us now in this time period. For sure. Um. Okay. I do want to say, yeah. Can yes, I, okay. I was going to say one one thing about Juanita Hall mm. is, um, I agree with you completely that her performance on paper that that character is such a caricature. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really do think she actually brings like a humanity to that performance that is not on the page at all. And yeah. it's very impressive because you would have to do a lot of searching and thought about like it's it's good that they used the woman who played the original production mm-hmm. because she had lived in that character for so long that she could find those nuances where I don't think someone who had just gotten the script like two months before or whatever would be able to in the same yeah. refreshing way. Yeah. But I even like, I think it's interesting that even like when she pulls, um, God, what is that character? Liat. When she pulls Liat away after uh, after Cable says he can't marry her, she calls him a stingy. She calls. She uses one of the like phrases she's picked up from the sailors. Um, stingy something. But I thought it was mm-hmm. interesting that like it's used as it's still supposed to be like kind of a joke that she's still. I don't know. I don't it's it's funny, but it's like a dark funny that like mm-hmm. even in this like moment of like very serious, like she's pulling the two lovers away. Yeah. She's still it's all like economic and it's all yeah. in reference to a culture she just kind of grasps in, in a right. very she doesn't way. really understand yeah. what she's doing. Yeah. And that's used in like the way she talks. Like she mm-hmm. she really doesn't she's not able to like fully grapple what she's dealing with, but mm-hmm. it's really interesting. Yeah. My closer, which I really struggled to write a good closer for this. I just didn't know what to, what to reflect on. So I'm going with what is an American war that you think is undermined for content for a musical? Mm, This is hard. I would say World War II is not undermined for anything Mm -hmm. ever. No. Uh, So I'm going to not say that. For a musical though, interesting. Hmm. Maybe the Spanish-American War because I don't know anything mm. about it. Yeah, my answer was also going to be something I know nothing about, which is the War of eighteen twelve. Because oh, sure. all we all we know is that it was in eighteen twelve, and I know it was with the British. So it was a little bit of like a relitigation of the revolution. The I think revolutionary, yeah. And that is interesting. And Dolly, and Dolly Madison ran out with the China from the White House while it was on fire. We all oh, know that story. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> So I think I would like basically after Hamilton, I would I expect the musical theater canon to do the heavy lifting of teaching me more about periods of American history that I have a very tenuous grasp on right now. I feel like that is the role and responsibility of musicals. And I would like it to you know step up to the plate on some of these more obscure wars. I made the joke, but I do think it's interesting that musicals specifically, not necessarily plays or theater Mm -hmm. as a whole, but musicals, I don't think really grapple with war that often. And I think it's Mm -hmm. probably because it's harder to make it musical because musicals are typically mostly comedies. So I think it's harder to do that generally, but um, 
There's not a lot of war musicals I can think of off the top of my head. Well, okay. So there's certainly other things that have to do with the military. I'm thinking of like, um, what's the one that actually has the three sailors that go to New York and that's like where the, do you know what I mean? There's like the bit of the three sailors who are like on leave in New York city. And it's a thing that gets referenced as like an icon more than the actual, is it 42nd street? Maybe it's not an American Paris. No, no. 42nd street is about like actors auditioning for musicals. On the town. On Three the sailors town. and okay, okay, 24 okay. hour shore leave in New York City. Shore so, leave, Fleet Week. Yes. I think that we have seen before because I think that war is a time of like break from normal society and reality, and you go off to this other place and it's kind of like a very intense summer camp sort of situation. Um, yeah. and musicals love to explore that sort of like outside of in the same we've talked about this before Shakespeare in the forest and musicals and water. We like that sort of like, let's set up a time where ex- social expectations are subverted because it gives you more room to explore in a story. Yeah. Um, I think the other, well, we have Hamilton revolution. We have um, assassins obviously deals with war because it's talking about mm. political assassinations. So some of the time periods of that are in wartime. Great is not, Parade is not civil war, but it's like, I think it's restor- reform, not reformation. That is like restoration, restoration. Um, but you. it starts with a soldier coming back. The old red tales of home, which is, Oh my gosh, such a beautiful song. Oh, is, it's so I good. think a soldier coming back from the civil war. It would be the civil war. I think time period yeah. wise. Hold on. Let me double Isn't check it? that too. Parade. Oh no, it's. Oh no. Yeah. Because it's, no, 1913. it's 1913. Oh, the musical opens in Georgia at the time of the American Civil War. Oh, okay. Years, so we're not years totally. Pass and suddenly it. it is 1913. Okay, so we okay. are like reminded of the Civil War to begin. It's just like a little interlude in the Civil War. Okay. Yes. The years pass and the young soldiers become an old legged veteran who is preparing to march in the annual Confederate Memorial Day parade. Okay. And that's okay. the parade. Yes. Okay, that it. is the parade. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like. I feel like musicals are like interested kind of around wars, but not in wars generally. Miss Saigon is very famously about Vietnam. Yeah. Um, It's hard. I feel like most musicals about war, well, most musicals in general really don't have like an anti-hero narrative. Most musicals are very Mm -hmm. like your protagonist is also like the good guy. Yeah. And your antagonist is the villain. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think a lot of the war, like, because of that, it's harder to do modern wars because they've been a lot more complicated and muddled mm-hmm. in terms of, like, the politics surrounding them. So it's it would be very crazy to do, like, the, the war in Afghanistan as a musical. Yeah. First of all, the idea of even saying the war in Afghanistan in the musical is I want to throw myself off the apartment building that I live on. Um, but I think, like, because, like, Saigon only really gets away with it because it's not really about it's set in the time of the war, but it really is just like an updating of Madama Butterfly more than anything mm-hmm. else. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I feel like most musicals are really like it's it's a uh, it's like World War Two, or yeah. like there are there are like I think there's a couple Civil War musicals, but it's almost always like the Americans are or the Northerners are the good ones. Yeah, I can't even think of a Civil War musical. I think of um, 
yeah, I guess I was going to say prayed, but that doesn't actually count as we just figured out. Um, or how like uh, it's referenced in, or not it specifically, but like uh, it's it's happening along the same time as um, the king and I. But how like ah. that is using more like the narrative around mm-hmm. um, Uncle Tom's Cabin. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> Listeners, write in if you can think of a Civil War musical. And uh, I think we're learning, as we said, in South Pacific, it's set in the war, but it's really not about war. And I think yeah. we're learning that it would be very hard to write a musical about war. Assassins might actually be the closest and that I feel like it directly deals with some of the political reasons behind wars and not just reflects Sondheim's writing that he was able to get into that level of intellectualism in a way that really no other musical theater composer, I feel like, has been able to successfully do. Yeah. I feel like I can think of more plays that are about war. Yeah. Like, but... I think plays are, it's easier to not break. <laughs> well, it's actually really easy to not break out in song when you're doing a play because it's a play, not a musical. I think oh, that's interesting. a huge thing about. Yeah. 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 What a, There's what a great war take. in Pippin. There's like, don't they go to war in Pippin? Isn't yeah. That like, they go to do the. Um, the Charlemagne crusades. crusades. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it shows up. It's just not the content. And I think it's, it reflects that they're just. It's almost is like, never the plot. Yeah. Um, there is a tone limitation to musicals due to the need to break out into song and right. we've i think that there's been a lot of amazing exploration to the limits of that um throughout time but war oh my god lame is i was that's thinking of lame is right though. that's that's a it's a but it's also a battle more than it like is a, a battle so that's probably the closest to like full-on like applying the spectacle thing that a song can do to a armed conflict that we have i think yeah because i think that it does putting a battle into a song valorizes it and so i but agree like it removes a lot of the nuance but it really does it's very similar to hamilton in that it is like they're both about like one person's full life and that is an mm. episode in their life in which they yes. have this battle moment yeah, William is about a lot of people's lives. It's about that's true, Beljan, true. but there's a lot of characters in it. But yes, um, yeah, interesting. This is and all the women be- love Valjean. All the women love Valjean. Just like all the women love Alexander Hamilton. Exactly. Um, this is either going to be a conversation we play back that it's going to be really interesting or it's going to be incredibly boring and you're going to cut most of it. And I'm excited Just to find out which one. trying to think in real time about musicals. Isn't it crazy that neither of us, isn't this, I'll cut this out, don't worry, but isn't it crazy that neither of us like musicals? Like we just do this for the grift. Isn't it crazy? We've been successfully pretending to like musicals for such a long time. And I'm really impressed with our commitment to the bit that we are people who like musicals. It's really unparalleled. Sorry, Adam here stepping out of the bit. Molly and I obviously really like musicals. Um, it's kind of the whole reason we're this doing this show. This is Molly stepping out of the bit. Adam is lying to you right now. We've never <laughs> liked musicals. Never once have I enjoyed watching a musical. It's a I bit. Didn't even watch it's a bit. Any, I didn't even watch any of these movies. I've just been doing Wikipedia summaries and just making wild guesses. And so far, they've they've turned out okay. Yeah, spark notes. Spark notes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. I I will I will before we close I would like yeah. to apologize for my lack of preparedness in terms of the history um because I did not have the time to both read and write the notes down so I was Look we did this on a Sunday which is not our usual time slot and, and everyone Lord's got a little Day. thrown off I was it's, so busy at church this morning It's the Sabbath and we just are <laughs> <laughs> you know limited in what we can do It's, it's the Christian Sabbath 
to be clear. <laughs> really? Yeah, I wasn't aware that other religions had different Sabbaths. Thanks. Thanks so much for that. Well, isn't isn't Jewish Sabbath on Friday yes, and Saturday? It, it, I'm, that's why I'm joking about it, Adam. I'm, oh, I'm God, aware I that keep Shabbat missing is- the jokes. Mother Courage Sabbath. That's so niche. So niche. God, I wish RJ um, was here to really balance out this equation right now. <laughs> going a little too off track. Oh, he would have he would have shortened up that war conversation for us for sure. Yeah, he really would have known. Yeah, anything about music. That's the one who doesn't know anything about music. Oh. Don't leave the podcast early. We're Don't leave the podcast or else we're going to tear you apart. <laughs> okay. Well, um, let me end with a song, as always. You've got to be taught to hate and fear. You've got to be taught from year to year. It's got to be drummed in your dear little ear. You've got to be carefully taught. Bye. Thank you for listening to the best revival of a podcast, Showgaze. You can find us on social media. Adam is at Adam Noecker on Twitter. RJ is at RJ Food Rocks on Instagram. And Molly is at Molly Matiny on Instagram. This episode was edited and mixed by Adam Noecker. This has been an Ampliverse production. You can find our show page and more information at theampliverse.com. If you'd like to send us your own takes on the movie we just watched, reach out to us via email and we might read it aloud on the show. Our email is showgazemoviemusical at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your podcasts. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to help others find the show. And now, as always, the show must go on. So stick around to hear what we're going to be watching next episode.